Then just say y'all. Folks, we're live. <laughs> okay, good. We are live episode 131 with Liz Wheeler. And if you don't know Liz Wheeler, she likes to keep it safe. She's not controversial at all. You don't push buttons. Mm -mm. You like a safe space type of an environment. So, folks, if you're listening today, you may get upset. You may feel safe. You may feel all of it. But we're happy to have you on the mm -hmm. podcast today. Thank you. I brought some emotional support, you know, animals, ponies, unicorns. We with saw me. the outside. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. And our guys are taking care of it, just so you know. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, we bought a purifier just yesterday. Not for you, because potentially we have a guest. <laughs> that may participate in some extracurricular activities. Yes. So we just decided to bring it in just in case. Not me. No, no, not you. But he is looking at you, though. Yeah, but meaning yeah. you're willing to support in case that does take place. I want to, everyone to feel included and That's, inclusion. So I don't want you to know, feel alienated. Your level of generosity to. is at a whole different level. And sarcasm this morning. Yeah, but we're, we're on it today. So Liz, Liz is here. Yeah, so for people who don't know your story, you're all over the place, you know, your show, your podcast... Uh, uh, I think it was a political 30 under 30 on what you were doing, the voice you have. You got a lot of people, a lot of followers, a lot of fans. Why don't you share your story with the audience that doesn't know your background? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, by the way. You guys are killing it here. Um, especially I just watched your episode with Rod Blagojevich. Man, I love that guy. What did you think about him? So He's so good. I mean, obviously yeah. a corrupt, crooked politician, right? Yeah. So likable. So likable. <laughs> so likable. <laughs> you did a yes. really good job asking questions, too. Yeah. Because, uh and letting him tell the stories, man. It was entertaining. I thought you did a really good job. Um, yes, I am very excited. I host the Liz Wheeler Show. We are almost one year into this independent venture, which I am just having the time of my life building this. My background is actually cable news. I hosted a show, a primetime show on One American News for five years before I decided to take the leap into independent media for a variety of reasons. Um, the biggest reason, because the average age of the cable news viewer is over 65 years old. And That's average age or something? Average saying? age, yeah. So just old people are watching the cable Total news. Total boomer wow. town. Yeah, and I, which I love. I love all my boomer fans. But Yay, we all boomers. agree. Yeah, yeah, but they agree at, with me that the, you know, the biggest voting demographic in our country is millennials. And soon going to be Gen Z. These people need to be talked to, need to mm -hmm. be talked with. Um, and, and you are a millennial. I am a millennial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm 32. I'm 32. Um, maybe. A lady typically doesn't reveal her age, but you know, when you're, I, when said you're looking 30 good. 30 under don't... 30, it made me like sad for a minute. And then I felt like I should be honest and talk about what my age is. 28. <laughs> I could claim it, but you know, I don't know if it's no. believable. Um, yeah, so we've been, I've been hosting this show. It's really great. It's been a, a ton of fun. I've been traveling around to college campuses talking to kids on college campuses who are so interested in, in what's happening and interested in discerning the truth. Um, I, I wrote a book a couple years ago on how to engage with leftists, with basically how to how to defeat them. It's called How to Topple the Left's House of Cards. Um, my viewpoints have actually changed just a little bit, not on political policy since then. But at the time that I wrote that, it, it was published in 2017. I thought, OK, people need to learn how to actually engage. It's such an intimidating thing, right, to talk to liberal friends or liberal family or people at your college and not know what to say, not have the exact response for a specific talking point from the left and i thought well i work in this business i know all of the answers to that let me write a handbook or a manual so that people can learn how to do that too and it's not that i reject that viewpoint now i've just realized that given the ideology that is so pervasive on the left right now this this very marxist ideology mm -hmm. whether it's critical race theory whether it's the transgender ideology um 1619 project this this anti-american attitude coming from the left that 
we actually can't always change people's minds. Call this cynicism that's come with age, but we can't necessarily change people's minds. But what we can do is we can enact policies that stop the creation of new leftists, meaning stop people from being indoctrinated into Marxism. And so that's that has resonated in a, such an interesting way with young people on college campuses to hear like, oh, I might not be able to change this this crazy professor's viewpoint, but I can actually do things at the state or local level that stop his viewpoint being taught to children or stop his viewpoint being applied to me. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been uh, spending the last semester doing, talking to college college students about about that and, you know, just diving into this this new media that we're all doing. What, what, what do you hear when you go talk to college students? What do you like? And I'm not talking about people that agree with you because people who agree yeah. with you, it is what it is. There's no converting there. It's people that don't agree with you that are open to receiving. What are you noticing with them? Yeah, I mean, they immediately appeal to kindness and compassion or how they de- define kindness and compassion. So one of the most common questions that I get from leftists is, oh, I have a transgender friend or I have a transgender classmate and I don't want to deny their dignity. I don't want to deny their personhood. I don't want to anger them by not calling them by the pronouns that they choose or not acknowledging what they're suffering. And that's a very valid, I mean, that's a very valid. Is that the most common response that it has to do with trans pronunciation of their, Mm -hmm. their, how they identify? That's the most common thing you hear? Literally the most common thing that I hear from college age liberals is you're not being kind to transgender. I am just trying to be kind to these people because these people, I mean, the narrative is that they're bullied. The narrative is that they commit suicide at very high rates, which is true on both Mm -hmm. accounts. Um, And these college kids want to know, you know, why I don't support their transition because they, these students believe that the transition is actually being helpful to the students. If you have 100 conversations, how many times does the trans stuff come up with these people as, a, as the first thing they bring up? A lot. Really? Like yeah, 50%, lot. 80%? That's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. Because yeah. It, it's like a heavy topic, right? Yeah. It's a I very, guess, but, it, but, I mean, but think less about than it. 1% of the world is, identifies as trans. But go right? back I mean, and think when you and I were in high school. That was a long time ago, right? 24 yeah. years ago. We were 25 years ago we were in high school. There was no cell phones, right? right? For me, mm-hmm. 25 years. For you, mm-hmm. 23 years. There was no cell phones. There was no social media. There was no Facebook. There was none of that stuff. So that's what they're seeing every day. So they're seeing mm-hmm. those videos going viral. That's the topic. They're seeing... The controversy the Dave behind Chappelle stuff yeah, that's going on, the Caitlyn Jenners of the world. You're not nice. You're not, you know, you're too disrespectful. You have people be, why don't you accept? And that's, that's the conversation they're probably going through. But there's what, a difference between, like, what's being seen and the reality that, like, it's so, such a non-issue for 99.9% of Americans. But you got to the, the campus. The campus yeah. is it. Well, it's, it's a good part of human nature, though, to want to be a voice for the voiceless or to want to stand up for the marginalized. Mm-hmm. So I don't discourage that. I just I encourage the, the college students to actually define, well, what is compassion? What does it mean to actually help these people? What does it mean to give them dignity and respect? Because we should treat everyone with dignity and respect and fight for equality under the law. But it's not compassionate to push them into a surgery that they're going to regret that's irrevocable. It's not compassionate mm-hmm. to indulge mm-hmm. delusion. That's that's not compassion. That's actually the opposite. That's that's a form of abuse. Do you have trans friends? Yeah. You do? And how do you have those conversations with them? My trans friends tend to be conservative. Conservative trans friends? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They un- give they un- an example. Give an example of one. Chad Felix Green. Chad Felix Green? And yeah. what's the conversation with him or, to, you know... Chad being transgender, what's his uh, approach towards politics versus others? He's very much against the transgender ideology as it as it pertains to our current political topic. He understands that he suffers from gender dysphoria. That's a real thing. It's a mental health issue. He understands that he suffers from that and that it causes him to want to 
mutilate his body and he resists that he know he understands that you know he, he was guided a lot by walt Heyer. i don't know if you're familiar with walt Heyer. walt Heyer is probably 65 70 years old right now transitioned was born biologically male transitioned to a woman spent 20 years as a quote-unquote woman and then detransitioned because of regret and now helps young people who are suffering from gender dysphoria either detransition or cope how you should with the mental health issue so chad still identifies as i mean he says he's transgender he says he suffers from gender dysphoria but he doesn't he didn't undergo surgery yeah i I think the the biggest thing is the fact that you can't have the conversation you can't challenge you can't push somebody's uh uh, you know whatever argument they may be having that's the issue and but but it's great to see somebody like you i think uh, you're doing it charlie's doing it few people are doing it that are going on campuses and it's creating a ruckus i mean it's getting what have you had an experience where they wanted to kick you off campus has that happened to you yet or no um are they pretty friendly to you well no they're not friendly to me so what what typically happens or what happened i'm trying to think of what college this was i think it was at the university of michigan we went to the university of michigan late last fall and, you know, they put posters up, the YAF students, Young America's Foundation students that host me on the campuses, put posters up for the events all over. And they, they plastered probably a thousand of them all over the walls just to make a show. And then they caught on video leftists who were ripping them down one by one and throwing them in the trash can. Um, there's been a really interesting change, though, on college campuses. Five years ago, if you went to a college campus and talked about a controversial issue, a lot of people would turn out who didn't agree with you. Mm-hmm. They, it was, in fact, I mean, you've everyone's seen those video clips where the leftist is getting squashed by some, um, owned, if you will, by some conservative speaker. And they wanted to engage. They thought, like, listen, my arguments will get the best of you. They wanted to have that engagement. Um, they, don't, they don't come anymore. They don't come anymore the same way. I mean, since, since the advent of cancel culture, since the advent of these safe spaces and trigger warnings and everything, they typically just go outside and protest and they don't want you to be allowed to be there versus engagement. So you're saying they're trying to cancel you. They don't even mm-hmm. want you on campus yeah. versus coming and debating you and engaging yeah. you and having open Yeah, and discourse. I always invite them. I actually, I actually always say before I go, anybody who disagrees with me, my producers, will bring you to the front of the line at the question and answer. Wow. Like, I want to engage now, are you. are you speaking right. at a podium? Are you mm-hmm. just going yeah, yeah. out and, and no, no, these talking are to people one-on-one the... with the mic? No, no, it's not man on the street. It's, it's an event, a hosted event where, you know, hundreds of people come and it's in an auditorium generally, um, just like a lot of other speakers. I mean, it's a t- it's a very common thing that happens on college mm-hmm. campuses. Different clubs bring in different speakers. Yeah, but but I love that, though. I love anything I having to do with debate. I love mm-hmm. it. I love your courage to go out there and have those conversations. We need way more people who have the courage like you to go out there and talk to people, especially opposition to talk to these younger kids. Go ahead, Tom. You know, what's very interesting is is – uh, my wife, the biz doc babe, you know, she teaches seventh, eighth grade, and kids are coming in with the notion that to disagree, remember, there's discuss, process, and then open conflict. Now, open conflict is disrespectful, yelling back and forth, but processing, the kids don't feel that processing is polite or nice. Well, that wouldn't be nice. That wouldn't be polite. So you got kids there in the formative years, sixth, seventh, eighth, going into middle school, about to be teenagers for the emotions <clears> kick <throat> in, and they are sort of being indoctrinated by a system that says don't process because that wouldn't be nice and that elevates to in high school well you don't have the right Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. question someone else and so i'm not questioning i just want to process something that's of social importance or something that i think maybe we can both learn from suddenly you go from nice 
to write to cancel. And that's yeah. the flow, exactly mm. what you just brought up, Pat, and it's happening. I think that's the worst part of it because what we're seeing is the downstream issue. Downstream issue, pollution happens upstream, downstream, the lake is polluted, and we look at it and go, gosh, how do we fix this? The upstream problem is these kids won't, aren't even being taught how to have a civil processing discussion. Let me, let me, let me ask you guys a question. Here's a question for you. So I go to uh, Maestro's. I'm having dinner there with Jen, and it's her birthday, and I, our waiter comes. And I'm talking to the waiter. I said, so tell me, uh, where are you from? He says, well, I, I grew up in San Diego. But I lived in San Francisco, and then now I'm over here. I said, oh, fantastic. I said, how do you like it in Florida? She says, yeah, it is what it is. She says, where are you from? I said, I lived in L.A. 20-some years. I lived in Dallas for five years, and I've been in Florida for one year. How do you like Florida? I said, I love it. What do you love about Florida? I said, policies, freedom, let me do what I want to do, low taxes, no taxes, low regulation, lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. I said, I like that also about Texas, but it wasn't the lifestyle. He says, okay, walks away. Then he comes back. And I said, uh, let me ask you a crazy question here. He says, yes, yes. And he's, now he's quick with me. I said, is it fair <laughs> to say that uh, you lean more left than you do right? Yes, I do. I said, how do you handle it with your family? We have one rule that we follow. What's that? We don't talk politics. Oh. Just, we just don't talk politics. That's how we keep our families together. Yeah. So, so here's a – but you got to realize I, we've heard this for the longest time. You don't talk politics. You don't talk religion. You don't talk this when you're doing business or with your family. Isn't that a way of copping out and not willing to have the tough conversation that you need to have? What are your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. I mean, those should actually be the conversations that you that happen first and foremost around the family dinner table. I mean, that's that's the actual real safe space is is for parents to talk about these issues with their children, for children to be able to ask questions. And not think about the ramifications that might happen in the classroom or with their friends, but to ask their parents the awkward questions that they might have. I mean, this is this is something, of course, that's lost. I mean, this goes back to the whole deeper issue of the nuclear family, right? Because parents should be indoctrinating their children. They should be passing on their values, their principles, their religious views, their politics to their children. And then when their children are adults, then you can say, okay, do I want to continue as an adult in following these these values that I was taught? But yeah, I mean, students students in school, in college, it's actually shocking sometimes what they don't know because they haven't heard anything except for what Tom was saying, that speech is violence if the mm-hmm. speech offends someone. Well, Liz, if, if trans is the number one issue that they bring up, what's number two, three, four? Oh, what do the, what do youth care about? The youth, the Gen Z. My youngest sister is uh, nineteen; she's in college, so well, she's right at that age. She is right at that age. Yeah, yeah they care. I mean, they care about. They don't care about fiscal issues because they don't. Well, they don't have any money. They're not working. So no, hasn't started yet. And, and yeah. it's really interesting too if you think or about the government like, just gave you two trillion dollars in checks. It's going to happen somehow, and I don't it, have to worry about it. Is it climate change? Is it? They're uh, very fearful of climate change. One thing I think is interesting to note, though, is we are setting up their generation for this incredible financial failure. Not even because of all the spending, which is obvious, but because of how we're teaching them fiscal irresponsibility with college. So we send them off to college, and these colleges cost twenty, thirty, forty, mm-hmm. fifty thousand dollars a year. They come out at 22 years old with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And yet then we tell them, yeah. don't don't spend what you don't have. Live mm-hmm. live within your means. And this is just completely opposite of how we've culturally forced them to go to these institutions in order to be successful. Uh, but 
I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, let me talk about the climate change thing for a second. There are a significant number of Gen Zers who actually suffer clinical anxiety and insomnia. They have sleep problems because they're worried about climate change, because they believe the folks that say, oh, the Earth is going to be... 12 years. Yeah, the eleven, the AOC, 11 years, and the mm-hmm. Earth is totally gone. Well, when uh, you hear that, and you're only 18 years old, and for your entire life, you're thinking, you're going to be dead in 10 years, wouldn't you also have the same nerve-wracking situation going on if, if you're 17, 18, 19 years old and that's all you've ever known? If it's all I've ever known, sure. But, I mean, that goes back to, I mean, that's why Pat does what he does. That's why I do what I do because there needs to be a, a counter-narrative of reality. These, these kids want to hear the truth. That's the thing. They want to hear what's real. They are hungry for facts. They are hungry for knowledge. They've just only been fed one side of it, mm-hmm. which is why you know, my independent venture, Pat's independent venture are very successful because people actually do really, really want to hear um, the facts of what's going on. So, I mean, there shouldn't be a 17 year old or an 18 year old or a 19 year old in our country who's only heard that the earth is going to end in 11 years and that they shouldn't have children and that we should ban airplanes and red meat. They should say, oh, I hear that from one side. The other side says this. Now let me think for myself. You know, whenever I watch Tom talk to his kids, he's always talking issues with his kids, always talking. Hey, read this article, read that article. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? They're always going back and forth, right? And they'll send the notes to him and he'll show it to me. Look what Bailey just said. Look what Brooke just said. Look how she processed this, right? Remember when we had RFK on uh, first time around when we, uh, Kennedy, I asked him a question. I said, listen, tell me about some of the Kennedy traditions. What are some of the Kennedy traditions that you guys have? He says, every night at the dinner table, our, our father, he would start a debate. He would say, what do you think about drugs? Why are they bad? I said, your dad would say about drugs. He says, yeah. He says, why are drugs bad to use? So you got to be kidding me. He says, no. Then he would say, what's wrong with me using drugs? What's wrong with me drinking as much as I want? What's wrong with rich people? Are rich people greedy? He said it was constantly debate, constantly debate. I put the fault of this, and this is not going to, you know, some people are not going to be happy about this. When kids are panicking about climate change, you know whose responsibility that is. The head of the household, they don't have these conversations with them, okay? The head of the household needs to... In today's climate, if you really want to raise your kids to be strong leaders today, the head of the household has to be very aware of what's going on and be willing to have these conversations with them. Because if you don't and they go, you're essentially handing your kids over to teachers to raise them with a mindset that they want to raise them rather than you. Yeah, you're going to say work hard, do this, be a good person, go to church, whatever some of the things parents say. But you got to get a little bit deeper. I think these conversations need to happen at the but what, what happens when you when you teach your kids what you want and, as Liz say, you indoctrinate them into your values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then you send them off for four years and they come back completely different and their values have but, done a complete 180. But I'm not indoctrinating in my – specifically in my uh, uh, values. I'm indoctrinating in a way of processing issues, not necessarily values. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you what are my, my values and principles. Here's what we live by. The Bedavid family lives by lead, respect, improve love. We don't bully. We don't get bullied. We pray for courage, wisdom, tolerance, understanding. This is what we do as a family. This is what I encourage you to do. But you, you ask the why question. Why do you, like this morning, Dylan, he's reading a book. He comes up to me. He's reading a World Cup book. And in the World Cup book, he reads about a story of Hitler that in 1933 World Cup, 1932, whatever the World Cup was, Hitler's aspiration was to be like Mussolini. He says, Dad, do you realize what this Hitler, every book I'm reading about Hitler is terrible. I said, what do you think about this guy? Dad, this, this guy's a terrible guy if he did this. I said, why don't you go figure out why he hated Jews so much? He said, I should go figure it out. I said, go research it. Find out for yourself and tell me. 
but it's not saying, you know, you're, you're feeding and then saying, go find out and then come back. I'm teaching you to go find out for mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah, it's critical not, thinking. Yeah, you're teaching this. You're not teaching this is the way we are and that's it. No, you, you're, you're going to have a kid fight you later on. Okay, you're teaching them how mm-hmm. to process issues. And so I want to read the story to you guys. And then it's going to be part of this conversation. I want to get your feedback. So New York Times, children have fallen way behind in reading and that could put their futures at risk. Last spring, as it was becoming clear that the pandemic learning loss was real and a serious problem for some kids, there were some voices suggesting the best approach to the problem was to not test for it. Okay, brilliant idea, right? <laughs> and some educations, professionals went further and claimed that standardized tests weren't really measuring all the good things kids kept out of school were learning. The president of LA Teachers Union outright said there's no such thing as learning loss. She continued, it's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times uh, tables. They learned resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. Oh, my God. That's just, that's, oh, my goodness. Now the New York Times reports that in Virginia, one case study found that uh, uh, early reading skills were at a 20-year low this fall, which uh, researchers described as alarming. In the Boston region, 60% of students at some high-poverty schools have been identified as at high risk for reading problems, twice the number of students as before the pandemic. Thoughts? So my husband took my 13-month-old daughter to our local library because who doesn't love that? And this was like a week or two ago. And he walks in the library, walks over to the children's section She because she likes to read books already. She's, she's actually liked that since she was like eight or nine months. And as soon as they got to the children's section, the children's librarian came over to them and said, sir, you have to wear a mask. And he said, oh, why? What do you mean, to who? Your to husband? my husband, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And, and my husband's like, oh, why? There's nobody in here. And I'm not sick. And the librarian was just like, oh, that's our policy. Now, we live in a state where it's been lifted. There's no mask mandate. This is a public library. We fund it. My husband was like, oh, why is it your policy? And the librarian was like, do you want to talk to the library manager? <laughs> and my husband's like, yes, I do. So he, the library manager comes down. And says, oh, sir, it's our policy that you have to wear a mask. My husband goes, may I ask why? And he said, well, because that's what the CDC says. That's the CDC guidance. And my husband's like, sure, but I'm not sick. I've already had COVID twice. I have natural immunity. You're not sick. Even the CDC says cloth cloth masks aren't effective anymore. So why? Mm -hmm. And the only thing that this library manager could say was, well, that's what the CDC says. That's what the CDC says. And so we're talking about this afterward. And we're, we're, it's just... I mean, first of all, it's really annoying, right? It's very annoying. But it's also just so fundamentally telling about this lack of critical thinking. And the lack of critical thinking, people don't think for themselves. They don't acknowledge that, oh, because the CDC is supposedly higher on the hierarchy than we are, <laughs> we the sorry people mm-hmm. are, that they could be wrong, that they shouldn't just be obeyed, that they that you could it's okay to be skeptical. And, I mean, this this ties into teaching teaching children to critically think and not just to echo certain beliefs. That's not what liberals think anymore. They don't want children to, they don't care about children learning the times tables because what is mathematics? Unless you're going to be an engineer, it's a way of disciplining your mind to learn how to, you know, put variables together and draw a conclusion. That's it's how to, it's logic, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want children to learn that because as soon as you learn logic, as soon as you learn how to think for yourself, then you start questioning their authority. So I know this sounds like, 
a deep, a deep, dark conspiracy to take over the minds of our children. But I think parents across the country, and this isn't just Republicans or conservatives, this is Democrats and liberals too, are seeing the disservice that's being done to our children and understanding that, listen, if we want to, if we want our country to be what it is, we have to take this back. This is not what we want for our kids. Tom, what do you think about this as a parent? How do you process this? Well, there's two sides to it, the educational side and then the home side, the uh, enablement side. And the, and the, on the enablement side, we become a video-based society. Look at the internet. The internet is very video-based and the amount of depth of articles, it's hard to find them. Medium has them, Slate has them, and conservative places have them. But that's not where the traffic is. The traffic is for video and short bursts. And so there is short attention span theater going on throughout the live. So it's hard to get a child to take the time and sit and read. I mean, you see it as a parent, Pat. It's getting increasingly difficult to get your kid to sit for 45 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and actually focus and read. So the first problem is the video-based society and not reinforcing the value of reading and doing it for parents that have the resources to do so. The other side of it is that the the schools and the types of, of books and resources that are available and the disciplines that they're putting in, in the children to do that, because they're not emphasizing on reading, the test scores are dropping for mm. not for any other reason in that the, the number of minutes that they spend reading is dropping. That's why the test scores are dropping. So now the tests are bad. So there's two sides to the problem is how they're educating intentionally. And then the other side is parents have to be active participants in this and turn off video-based you know, massaging of their brain and get them to read because reading builds reasoning, not the other way around. When you read, your mind is focused to reason with what's happening with the character because you're not being told, you're interpreting. And when you're just told, turn left, turn left, turn left, you turn left. So yeah, there's the, a couple sides to this. You know, from the LA Teachers Union, she says outright, there's no such thing as learning loss. I think she's absolutely incorrect on that. If you're not reading and you're not studying and you're not focusing on school, yeah, you're going to forget some stuff. You're not going to improve on stuff. And, and across the United States, you can see the public schools, there's how many schools are just failing or not getting good grades. But I will say she does have a point on one thing that, you know, there's a, we talked about this yesterday at lunch. There is a difference between IQ and EQ, book smarts and street smarts. So, you know, again, this comes down to parenting and what you're doing with your kids at home. Are you like, for instance, I don't care what your, the schools are doing. You're making your kids read. But if they're spending more, and just like you're doing with, with your kids, I'm sure, I mean, you have a 13-month-year-old that is already reading, you know, uh, major books, apparently. is. But Yeah, by herself. Yeah. She reads them. Yeah, Exactly. So, but, I, you know, there, there, there is something to be said that during a pandemic like this, when there's a lot of different stuff going on, and a lot of the world is changing so fast, you know, having conversations with your kids like, hey, this is what's going on. Critical thinking like you talked about. There, se there needs to be a lot more critical thinking with your kids at home. Why are you home right now? Are you going to hang out with your friends? Is it worth hanging out with your friends? I don't know. Are you going to get sick hanging out with your friends? Are you, is it worth going to school? What do you think about Zoom? Street smarts is, is a real thing. You know, I, you, know, you, you know, quite candidly talk about how you had a 1.8 GPA, but you were very popular in school. You were good at sports. You were very high on street smarts. And math. Yeah, but there, there's a difference here, though. I was around people. I was around people. I was not uh, 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 confined alienated. and yeah. alienated. And, you know, parents still have to work. And it was a very mm. weird 18 months for the average parent. Forget about the, the people that have money. They figured out a way to get a nanny or two. But mm -hmm. the, the parents... Private schools were still in school. Uh, it, it was a mess. So you, mm -hmm. you have to know that for them to use that as an excuse to say our kids learned about... 
What was the thing we learned well, about the learning difference about between coups and re insurrections is is sort and, of absurd. And she said that that you're protesting and riots, yeah, rather than uh, uh, teaching some things. So no, I, I I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying with the point she's making that hey, there's more things to IQ than you got to get good at EQ, all this other stuff. No, I want you to learn logically to make better decisions. That's what I want you to learn. Okay, as a kid. My, my dad taught me how to think. That was his thing. It was teaching me how to think. You know, one of the things we talked about, I made a video a few years ago saying 15 things they don't teach you at school. If I ever mm -hmm. ran a school, the next 20 years we're doing media. The last 20 years, if, I, if we ever decide to start a university or a high school, if we ever did and it was a private school, we would be teaching certain things that these guys don't want to teach. We would teach you how taxes work, mm -hmm. the specific tax code, and why entrepreneurs pay Taxes because of the sacrifices they take and versus deciding to be an entrepreneur, there's different dynamics. We teach you how to sell. We teach you how to lead. We teach you how money works. We teach you how to negotiate. We teach you how to think for yourself. We teach you how to start a business. We teach you how to earn millions, how to process issues, how to marry. No one's teaching you how to marry. Mm -hmm. What is this marriage thing all about? You get married all of a sudden like, holy moly, I don't have a manual for this. How many marriage books do I need to read by people that have been divorced seven times? What do I need to learn to how marriage? So I want to sit... I want to have a panel of a husband and wife that have been married for 40 years. I want a panel of a person that's been divorced three times. I want a panel of a person that's newlywed, and I want them to debate somebody that doesn't believe in marriage and is single 55 years old. Why? Let the kids say, I kind of lean towards mm -hmm. this guy. I don't want to get married. I kind of lean towards this side. I'm afraid this guy got a divorce. Why I learned? I, we're not doing these things. So for them to say, we learned the difference between a coup and an insurrection— who gave a shit about that at 10 years old, right. 11, 12 years old? What are we talking about? So is that what we're feeding into their minds being the most important but thing? The classes you're talking about goes to my point is that those are street smart type things. Those are emotional intelligence but type things. Yeah. Marriage, entrepreneurship, how to make money. That's that. not IQ. You can't That's do any of That's not algebra two. Who you gives can't, a shit about you that? You can't do no, but algebra. But math is very much about processing not trigonometry. Issues. I think math analysis is about processing issues. It totally. is because it is all the way through calculus. I, I mean, fully agree. I think you know the whole thing about Einstein would say the difference between uh, uh, somebody wins and somebody doesn't. I'm pre uh, 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 prefacing what he said. It was the successful people stay with problems longer. Right? Math is about I can't figure this freaking thing out. How the hell does this work? You stay with the problem longer, you solve it. Then for the rest of your life, you're having a problem in a business and a relationship and a friendship. You stay with the problem longer, you figure it out. Rather than saying, "Ah, oh, just not working out." Boom! Here's what I'm doing. I think math is all that. Anyways, we learn by being around each other. Mm -hmm. We learn by being around each other. We learn by this discourse. Right? The kids lost that 18 months. Most middle, low-income people in California, New York, they lost it. Scores mm -hmm. in Boston, 60 percent. It's pathetic. Anyways, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, no, I mean, I think what, what you're talking about with taxes, so this is one of the reasons that I am as passionately conservative as I am. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning, we were talking right before we went on air about my Twitter mention feed because, yeah. I mean, it's just a cesspool in there. It's not all roses and unicorns. There's a lot of people that are upset, and, you know, that, that can be an intimidating thing. That can be something that, that people have trouble handling, and that's not been something that I have cowered away from. That's been something that I've accepted as part of my job. And the re one of the reasons for that is exactly what you mentioned, because my dad is a small business owner. And when I mean, I can remember when I was like 10 years old, he paid me five bucks to help him do his taxes. Like I've been doing I was doing taxes <laughs> with him. Right. But that's awesome. Right. I love that. And so I knew how to do my own taxes as soon as I, as soon as I got a job. I did it myself. I did it quickly. And, you know, you, you gain an understanding then for how so. something as intangibly sounding to a child as the tax code concretely impact your family and your life. So I understood then 
wow, if this if this politician is promising to raise the corporate tax code, like that's going to have a negative impact on my dad's oh business. Oh, my God. That's so important to teach But that's such that. a boring yeah. topic unless you have a hands-on experience. Exactly. And so I learned very young, okay, so this is something. Like, I'm fiscally conservative because I see how it impacts my dad, which means how it impacts me and all my sisters and brother mm-hmm. and my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have to have that kind of imprint on your on your emotional intelligence as well as on your IQ. And the uh, the other reason not to not to wax too philosophical here, the other reason that I am so conservative too and the reason that I'm so comfortable being a skeptic in all areas um is is because when I was in late high school I was diagnosed I was I was actually a competitive swimmer. I was a pretty elite swimmer and I was diagnosed with a cell disease. It's an autoimmune issue and at the time i mean there weren't there weren't many options the doctors were just like okay you're going to have to live with this it wasn't really a livable thing and my mom was like well i'm not going to accept that like i'm going to go search for search for something alternative and thank god she was able to you know find an alternative way for me to manage my health which i manage to this day but i realized again that if we didn't live in the type of economy the type of free market that we live in my and my dad hadn't had the choice to be super smart with his finances and have a lot of savings, we wouldn't have been able to afford the treatment that ultimately saved my life. That, That's that, something that has a really big impact on you as like in your formative years. Very emotional. And, yeah. And that, that, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you, 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 the, the, the money stuff, like you make money and I've owned all the crazy cars and all that stuff. I live in a beautiful home, all the you know people to have dinner with. But the basic things about money, I had one of our guys, Marokin, Boris Marokin, he was at the house. We're having a cigar together. Uh, Salvadorian, husband and wife. Love these guys. And he's sitting next to me. And uh, we're talking. And he starts crying. I said, what's up? What, what, what's on your mind? He said, well, let me tell you what happened. You know, uh, uh, I used to not make a lot of money. And now I'm making very good money. And he had made like 70 grand that month. He says, uh, you know, I thought it's about the cars and all this stuff. He bought his, bought, bought his wife an Escalade. And his, him and his wife have been together for 25 years. And uh, he says, but you know what was crazy? What? There was a health issue that happened with my kid, and we needed to spend $6,000. And it's very private, and we had to spend $6,000 on the kid. He says, I had no – if it was a year and a half ago, two years ago, I wouldn't be able to do anything with that. I'd have to figure out a way to make this. I, I was able to pay that $6,000. He says, to me, capitalism is that. Yeah. That's capitalism. Capitalism isn't another $300,000 watch. Capitalism isn't another half a million dollars. That's capitalism. Now, what we have to consider, I grew up in a family where my mom was on welfare and we didn't have money. How we help those that don't have access to the resources with parents that maybe you had, like some people don't have that, what do we do with them? Because those parents maybe don't have the resources that we have to figure right away. Like you know, I was speaking to a school and they were talking about how can we make our kids uh, uh, better at processing issues? And there's this uh, uh, director of psychology, the school's having this conversation with me. I said, how often do you guys have a training just for parents? What do you mean? Like how often do you bring just parents in all together in the auditorium and talk to the parents about how to talk to the kids at night and how do I have conversations with them at night? Oh, we never do that. Well, what do you mean you never do that? You know, in sales, it's about training the trainer. That whole saying, mm-hmm. train the trainer. Well, who right. is the trainer here? The parent. We need to train the trainers, the parents, as much as we're training the kids. I think we're spending way too much time focused on the kids, and we're forgetting about the fact that that parent is sitting there without access right. to resources. Can you just teach me what to do? And by the way, let's just say 600 parents do show up. 
And let's just say 80% of the parents sit there like this, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not even paying attention to anything you're saying. But say 20% that right. do, of the 20% that do, 20% take notes and go back and apply them. One of the kids ends up becoming a positive impact to society and less person relying on government for tax and resources. We did our part. So I think there needs to be just as much training with parents as there is That's with kids. That's very powerful what I you're saying. I you're think abso- you're absolutely correct. And you know where it is happening today? It's happening today in the American homeschooling mm-hmm. communities. So people think, oh, homeschooling. So if your dad happened to be a pharmacist, maybe he teaches chemistry. You know, the homeschoolers turn to resources. They have resources, standardized testing they can get, and books and, and things like that. But then they turn to the other parents, who's the expert on what, and they do some of the teaching for the kids. And they go to each. It's almost like going to class. Oh, we're going to go to Mr. Richardson's house and learn about chemistry because he's a pharmacist. Well, guess what's also happening? Parents are getting together and the parents are becoming educated on social issues and becoming more aware and handling discovering ADHD or thing or dyslexia and how to handle it and manage it. So it happens in the homeschooling environment because the parents are forming communities because they know that there's things they don't know and there's gaps yeah. and they want to learn it. Pat, that's where it's happening. And I think a little conspiracy theory that this the society, the left, is less worried about homeschooling because of vouchers, and they're more worried about homeschooling because of voters, because the parents are being changed. It's not the indoctrination of tomorrow's voters and are being taught wrong. Yeah. I think the parents are more independent, heads up, and they are learning in groups. FYI, you, you, know, you know how all these guys right now have uh, uh, courses online. I do course on marriage. I do course on you know, such and such. I do whatever. There's different courses you can buy on Udemy, Plural Site, all these different things. You know what's a great niche that people can take on right now that will do very well? Small courses on how to lead your kids, specific on leading your kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that is out there. Anyways, let me go to the next one. I, I, mean, I was homeschooled, Thanks for by the, the suggestion. Yeah. I got to go. <laughs> but Pat, let, me, let me say I one thing that's a great that, idea. that we do here at Valuetainment. This is, I mean, this is exactly why you do... The SLS Symposium, the Sales Leadership Symposium, is that you talk about, you know, why don't they do courses to teach parents? Same thing you do with Train the Trainers with PHP. Same thing you do with SLS. I assume that's the reason you do that is who's teaching the sales leader to reinvent themselves, right? I, or to by the way, you, du- don't, you know how much duplicate I, themselves. You know how much I would do this course? Let's just say we do a parenting course. I do it for 10 bucks, 20 bucks, because you want the masses. You want people to get it. Hey, yep. here's... Here's some strategies that worked on me. Here's some strategies I'm using with my kids. I want to share it with you. We can't rely on the teachers to do it. we got to become better parents. So the idea is to train the parents. If you're up for it, let's go through it. If you disagree with me, fine. Maybe some of these tactics are going to work. For I think there is a market for that. Let me lead to the next story. This all confining the kids leads to what? Here's a Daily Mail story. Party like it's 2019. Florida and Fort Lauderdale expects triple the amount of visitors over the last year as tens of thousands prepared to celebrate the first spring break in the U.S. free of COVID rules. Thousands of college students and visitors are descending on Florida's beaches. Not California, but Florida. This week to celebrate the first spring break without any coronavirus restrictions since 2019. Inhabitants of popular vacation spots, including Cancun, Miami, Pensacola, Fort Lauderdale, and the South Padre Island have to deal with observing never-ending crowds of college students having a good time, often blasting loud music and drinking alcohol from the first week of March until April, starting on Saturday until March 20th. Many public schools districts in Florida, including Penniels, uh, uh, Hillsborough, Pasco, etc., etc., as well as the last University of Southern Florida and Tapan will be on vacation. Last year's spring break saw 65,000 passengers fly into Tampa Bay International Airport per day during peak weeks. However, in 2020, 
the number of spring breakers was dismally low in March and April as there were fewer than 1,500 flights a day versus 65,000. So people are about to start partying in Florida. You're on college students a lot. What do you think about the story? I think my youngest sister, who I mentioned before, who is a sophomore in college, she's a college basketball player, she came with me down here. Oh, she said, cool. oh, you're going to Fort Lauderdale. That's a free spring break trip for me. Mm-hmm. So um, she's here, although I hope some of that debauchery that you described, <laughs> she won't be taking part in. Um, if she does, I'll just, you know, make her babysit. I mean, it's, it's, it's great in a sense. I'm not, I'm not endorsing some of the spring break footage that we see out of Florida every year. But it's great that people, young people specifically, who are so prone to be vulnerable to the fear that we were talking about with climate change, are realizing that they don't have to be afraid of COVID. They don't have to be, they don't have to stop their lives anymore. They don't have to not associate with other people. That They can just do their thing. They can go to school again. They can go party again. They can go on spring break again. That's a good thing. And Florida, is, of course, has been a leader, a leader in uh, following the science on the COVID regulations. It's, it's, that's why I've come to Florida so many times in the past year, just to get away from, get away from some of the policies in a blue state. But um it's good. I, I was really encouraged, too, to hear the Surgeon General of Florida say that they're not going to encourage vaccines, COVID vaccines for healthy children. That's what the science says. That's, that's, that's really nice to hear. Did you see what Jen Psaki said? Yeah, she called him uh, a politician. Yeah, so they asked her question. Said he was uh, said, so, propagating conspiracies. Yeah, what do you think about Florida, you know, uh, not uh, uh, agreeing with kids uh, taking the vaccine? Uh, do you agree with them? Absolutely not, was mm-hmm. her answer. Absolutely. The science, right. we have the science, the true science, and the true science tells us that, you know, vaccine for kids. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, so that's and what's going to... found the way to say even death in the next 90 seconds three times. It's... it's uh, Even uh, death. The currency of fear is very effective. It's worked for centuries. Every, you know, it's been used for so many years. Yeah. And they're using it very eloquently. But people in Florida, especially with Ron DeSambal, he's getting a lot of... Did you see him uh, the other day with the whole masking with the kids? Yeah. I don't appreciate you guys having a mask on. Anyways, if you're going to wear it, just, you know... Yeah, this mask okay. here you got going so, on. So, good to be here in Florida. Did, <laughs> did you see their faces when they took the masks off, though? They thought... There was, like, one or two that were horrified, but the rest of them were, like, laughing. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah. But that's but what they need. They need a strong leader to tell them, like, it's okay to take your face mask off. By the way, things <laughs> are going to about, about to get very insane down here in South Florida. Now, as a true conservative, I very rarely go visit South Beach and party past midnight. <laughs> that's something I'm definitely not known to do. Uh, however, the few times that I have gone down to South Beach during Yesterday. over the last few years, yeah. like, last year I went down and I, and I did a, a man-on-the-street piece uh, about spring break stimulus spending, and it was I was interviewing all the people. That's a really it, sexy topic. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and it was just all the people that were getting stimulus checks that were just like, where else are they going to go? Florida, obviously. Mm-hmm. These weren't necessarily college kids at that time. There was just people getting stimulus checks. Yo, we're going to South Beach. We're going to Fort Lauderdale. About to have the time of our lives. That's going to get amplified times ten. Now it's like, you know, the gloves are off. You know, flights are back. We're going to party in South Beach, so just be very weary, weary and uh, hopefully your 19-year-old sister doesn't party too hard. Well, I disagree I with the debauchery will. of spring break. I absolutely disagree with it. However, it's very interesting that Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis, their states, are going to get tax revenue, visitors, and local businesses are getting a lot of patronage in the hospitality. Hotels, restaurants, and things mm-hmm. are getting a lot of dollars, and Florida and Texas and those entrepreneurs running those places are 
cash in the what checks. What do you mean you disagree with the debauchery? First of all, I disagree with the debauchery. <laughs> Stop. But you've got a but you have Stop. a wave of commerce that's coming to Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott. First of all, thanks it, to Spring it, Break. When Tom's podcast gets started, mm-hmm. his number one sponsor is going to be a CBD oil company. Yeah, or a beer. And, and Tom's <laughs> going to say, today's message is uh, brought to you by uh, CBD oil from uh, Boca Raton. Uh, our friends over here, mm-hmm. you know, bring the best, best CBD. Anyways, going back to debauchery, when I was in the Army, okay, 4th of July, we were at Panama City, okay? Memorial Day weekend, Panama mm-hmm. City. You know, uh, whatever, Labor Day, Panama City. In the Army, they would call it a Danza. We would come down here, and it was an incredible time, incredible time. We read a lot of books. We went to all the local <laughs> borders and Barnes and Noble. Right. We were very committed. But no drinking, it's, it's no fighting, no to girls, be nothing. Insane. Yes. It's going to be, I have a feeling it's going to be a bigger number than they even yes. expect it to be. Which I'm sure you support that because you probably can't wait to go out there and spend I'll time I'll be down with there with out. our friend David doing some interviews at Model Volleyball this weekend. If you're in South Florida, <laughs> come check us out in South What's Beach. her name? Shout out to her father. What's uh, Olivia Ormos, Olivia. my girl. Yeah, she's putting Shout together a Model to Volleyball. Pops. If you're in South Florida this weekend, be in South Beach for Model Volleyball. It's going to be epic. But, Bizdoc, you're not invited because it'll be a little too debaucherous for your little taste. Okay, little guy? All right. So here, <laughs> oh, my here we go. He's going to come back. Don't worry. Just be patient. All right. So let's talk, let's talk a little oil and gas. Let's talk oil and gas because it is a topic. By the way, did you see the inflation numbers that just came out this morning? 7.9% that they're telling us, which is the highest in decades, uh, uh, 7.9%. Gas prices, record-breaking. Guy sent me pick Yesterday I was talking about gas uh the price of it. Everybody's sending me a message with what gas prices are in different places. Beverly Hills, 7 Eleven. Mm. For, for a 10. Oh ten, my God. 7 Eleven? in Beverly Hills. Glendale was like six seventy nine. To fill up one gallon is six seventy nine. dollars uh, What was that? Go back to it. 7.9% 40 year uh, uh, record that we yeah, have. Yeah, I saw it on your Instagram. Yeah, so, so here's Russia with oil. Russia with oil, okay? I'm going to read two stories back-to-back, and I will comment on it because it's uh, uh, both uh, around the same thing. One is an insider story, and the other one is a CNBC story. So here we go. Uh, Number one, OPEC chief says there's no capacity in the world that could replace Russia's 7 million barrels a day in supply. This is an insider story. Mm -hmm. Russian oil exports are crucial to global supply, and there's no sources that can compensate for the millions of barrels the country contributes OPEC Secretary General has said, so far OPEC and its allies, known as OPEC Plus, have shown no interest in ramping up production, leading some analysts to say that this is contributing to the squeeze on supply. The threat on an, on an import ban prompted Russia's deputy minister to issue a warning and predicts oil prices could surge to, ready folks, $300 a barrel. And the story right afterwards, CNBC, Russia warns $300 a, a barrel. It is absolutely clear that a rejection of Russian oil would lead to catastrophic consequences for the global market, Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak said on Monday. Let me read this one more time to you. This is a power play. I'm going to read it to you one more time, folks. Listen up. This is the Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak said on Monday. Okay? It is absolutely clear that a rejection of Russian oil would lead to catastrophic consequences for the global market. The surge in prices would be unpredictable. It would be $300 
per barrel, if not more. Russia is the third largest oil producer behind U.S., Saudi Arabia. U.S. doesn't count because we're not doing anything. Saudi Arabia didn't uh, return uh, uh, Biden's call when they reached out to him. They just didn't even call him back. And the European Union uh, received around 40% of its gas via Russian pipelines, several of which run through Ukraine. Once again, EU, 40% is through Russia. So thoughts on what's going on with gas prices? Have you seen those stickers that have been popping up all over the country on gas tanks? It's like a little silhouette of Biden pointing to the price that says, I did this. I think that's exactly correct. This is not Russia's fault. This is Biden's fault. This is Biden's fault because he could have prevented what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. This, this, is, this is not something that just arbitrarily happened. This is, this is a result. The war that's happening between Russia and Ukraine right now is a result of deliberate actions taken by Joe Biden. And what I mean by that is just a couple of months ago, if he had stopped the key or if he had stopped the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, if he mm-hmm. had put sanctions like Trump did on that pipeline, then Russia would have backed off. Biden personally lobbied Democratic senators not to reimpose those sanctions. So what happens? Obviously, then Putin is emboldened because he knows that there are countries like Germany who rely on him for energy, meaning they're not going to criticize him when he commits a war act against the Ukrainians, right? But it it goes even deeper than that. It goes deeper than that because Russian money has been funding the environmentalist agenda in our country for years. And this is not, this is not like exclusive journalism that I'm presenting to you. This is actually something we have known about. And when I say we, I mean our government officials. Back in 2017, there were two Republican congressmen. This story is so fascinating to me. There were two Republican congressmen, Smith and Weber, who sent a letter to Secretary of the Treasury Mnuchin saying, listen, we have evidence that Russian state money is going through a shell company in Bermuda. The shell company is called Klein Limited. And Klein Limited is then giving as anonymous donations to um, a 501c3 here in the United States, giving this money to an organization called Sea Change. Sea Change is then disseminating this money to prominent anti-fracking, anti-fossil fuel, so-called green organizations here in our country. And the purpose of this is like Vladimir Putin has been planning this attack on Ukraine for a long time. This has been a long time in the preparation because This has worked. This lobbying has worked. It has caused states across our country to ban fracking. It's caused Biden to take his stance against fracking, against using our natural resources, against the federal leases. And the result of this has been, well, of course, when we turn to wind or solar or anything alternative or renewable, we still rely on coal. We still rely on oil, right? Even, even with this green energy. But when we need to rely on oil and we're not producing it ourselves, we have to rely on Russian oil. And that gives, that gives a position of leverage to Vladimir Putin. He knows no then question about it. that he, yeah. can, mm-hmm. he can invade Ukraine and that nobody can really do anything about it because they rely on him. And so when I see, I know this is a long answer to your short question of please rant about the gas prices, but this is not something that just arbitrarily happened. This is not something that happened overnight. Mm-hmm. This is the result of deliberate, bad, corrupt choices by our politicians for a long time. For a long time. Did you see what uh, John Bolton had to say about this What's situation? That? You know who John Bolton is, right? Yeah. The National Security Advisor. The most famous mustache. Yeah, the mustache. Yeah, the walrus yeah. man who was Trump's National Security Advisor. Yeah. Now, you might say they've had a falling out, but he's certainly a Republican. He's certainly part of that community, for sure. He said, quote-unquote, um, that they were asked why did... This is his thoughts, not mine. Why did... Putin delay this invasion of Ukraine. He said, quote unquote, Putin delayed the invasion of Ukraine because Putin saw what Trump was doing, was doing a lot of his dirty work for him, that Trump was basically being um, hostile towards NATO. And he basically thought 
that uh, if he won a second term, there was a chance that Trump would pull out of NATO. So Putin was basically just biding his time, you know, play on words right there, biding his time to see if Trump would actually pull out of NATO. Now, whether he was going to do that or not, there was no doubt that he was hostile towards NATO. And this is sort of separate from the gas prices. But this is a direct answer to why Putin chose this time. But this was John Bolton's opinion. Do you have any strong feelings on what John Bolton has to say or what he Well, John for? Bolton and Donald Trump are on opposite ends of the Republican Party. And what I mean by that is there's a, di- there's a division, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to foreign policy. There's interventionists like John Bolton or like He's Marco certainly Rubin. not a dove. He's a definitely war No, hawk. no, he, he wants, he wants to, bomb to attack Iran. Iran, for yeah, sure, yeah. 100%. I mean, he would admit this. This isn't, yeah, this well, isn't even a He said it on camera. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Donald Trump was very much national interest. He called it America first. It's really a Reagan foreign mm-hmm. policy, but he did want to get involved anywhere unless he has to unless it's in our direct national interest it's, it's actually closer to the isolationist end of the mm-hmm. spectrum um i think i think john bolton actually misses misses the point here i don't think that trump was hostile to nato i think that that was a negotiation tactic to get nato members to pay their fair share the u.s has been paying the majority of dues to nato for a long time and all of these other countries have been freeloaders they've been taking advantage of us as they they have enough money they've just been using it for their own domestic welfare systems and just allowing the u.s to do it because we would to pay this amount because we would and so trump is calling them out he's forcing them he's threatening them Mm -hmm. as a negotiation tactic and sure he probably meant it all good negotiation like when you when you make a threat like that you have to follow through or it's not a real threat people can sense that um but I don't think that he ever had any real intention of pulling out of NATO. I think that he was just using this to get people to pay, and it worked. They did pay. Well, John, you, you expect John to say anything about Trump? You expect Bolton to say anything good about Trump right now? You know, he was his up? national security advisor. No, they had a huge falling out. You remember his book. Same thing with Bill Barr now. Same thing with yeah, Pence now. Yeah. He has yeah. these people that are sycophants to him. And then next thing you know, they're out and they talk mm-hmm. shit about him. It sure. just seems to be a common theme is all I'm saying. Right. But you step back to where this topic started, which was on you know international oil prices. There is a Cold War that's been going on for the last 25 years since on the price of oil. It is a Cold War that's going on between Saudis and the U.S., between Saudis and Venezuela, between the cheaters that are in OPEC that are shipping and not telling the other OPEC people. Remember, it was the Saudis that wanted to cripple Alberta oil sands and North Dakota oil sand and shale oil by keeping the price of a barrel at $45. They they acted against their own um, total profit and pulled the price all the way down there. Now, why'd they do that? Well, they do that because, you know, uh, Alberta and North Dakota were not economically feasible oil extraction below $50 a barrel. Now, with the price per barrel up, this is the exact time where Biden can flip the switch on energy independence. Where does Canada get 100% of its natural gas? Us, the United States. Now you could sit back and say, you know what? Let's loosen up on this. Let's loosen up on it. And Saki yesterday, that was a terribly disingenuous answer that she gave on this whole energy question. Well, they've, they've, you know, they have the leases. Leases is not a permit. A permit takes forever in Washington. A lease is, is that you have a right to drill once you get a permit to drill. But the permits live in Washington, and they, the green drag feet on that. So when you look around on the oil stuff, Pat, this has been going back and forth for a while. And then Putin's three-step process here also was benefiting the price and the need for the Russian oil. But we got to 
also realize why those Saudis didn't return Joe Biden's phone call. Well, by the way, I'm going to read this. Because they've been playing with us for yeah. a while I mean, as well. I'm laughing, but it's not funny, It's really. not funny, but I'm going to read the story to you. So uh, Saudi UAE leaders declined calls with Biden amid Ukraine conflict. This is a Hill story. Yesterday, two days ago, there was some expectation of a phone call, but it didn't happen. A U.S. official told the Wall Street Journal regarding a call between Biden and Saudi Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin uh, Salman. It was part of turning on the spigot of Saudi oil. UAE leader Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed also declined a call from Biden. Officials say the U.S. relations with the two Gulf countries have been strained over the Biden administration's lack of support in the war in Yemen and the revived negotiation concerning the Iran nuclear deal. Saudi Arabia has also been pushing for legal immunity in the U.S. for Crown Prince Mohammed, who is accused of killing a journalist in 2018. So you you got to realize, foreign relations is for people to pick up your calls to talk to you and, and do something with you. So these guys, when is the last time you heard a story that somebody says, yeah, U.S., you know, you're, you're historically been the greatest country in the world. The president wants to talk to you. You know what? I'm going to keep playing this Xbox. Just tell Biden I'll call him back later. Maybe send him a message or something, some flowers. But we got some things to do. And then you hear you hear the questions. People say, uh, your gas prices is all because of uh, Russia. Okay, if you can pull back what you had, the three pictures I send you, the two pictures. Yeah. Uh, David, if you can pull this one up. And they say gas prices is because of Russia. Okay. That's when Biden was sworn in. Okay. Gas prices were 230, 240. Do you see that? That's when he was sworn in, okay? Putin invaded when gas prices were at 351. This is not a Russia thing, folks. This went from 240 to 350. That's a buck 10 on 240. That's 45%. It went up in a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, two years during the administration. Is that a byproduct of what's going on there? Now, if you look at it now, it went from 351 to 412, and it's going to get higher. Uh, I see this thing getting higher. I've already made my prediction seven, eight months ago where I said gas prices are going to hit 10 bucks a gallon. Uh, and some are even saying right now it's going to hit 15 bucks a gallon. By the way, there's a video. Can you go to the next slide so they can see some of the pictures? This is Glendale, California, 669. Oh, man. Go to the next one. This is Beverly Hills. Can you zoom in a little bit so people can see it? It's 729 for a 91 in Beverly Hills. There's a gas station right across the street. John Reed was telling a story yesterday in the PBD podcast mm-hmm. prep meeting. He said, the guy's telling me, fill up your gas tank now while it's 419. It's going to be 490 by midnight and by t- uh, later on tonight. Fill it up right now. There's a person that did a video standing in front of a gas station recording a video, see, <laughs> seeing the prices go 401. 402, 403, 404, 404. Live, they're recording it while they're filling up the tank. The prices per gallon is going up while it's filling up the tank. Craziness. So it's like a stock, you're at the gas price on the tank. It's like a stock market ticker now. It's like a stock market. So the guys are telling you, buy and fill up your tank now. We should teach our kids supply and demand. Can you go back to the Biden chart real quick? Thank you, T. Take a look at the immediate. You see how the curve immediately jumps after the inauguration, Pat? It's like real November. steep, and then it wow. kind of levels out. The reason it did that was this. Okay, no more Keystone and limiting American drilling. That creates what? A shortage in supply. Actually, it reduces supply, which increases price. So the economy works exactly the way. But that was him kowtowing to the Greens on Keystone Pipeline and drilling in the U.S. And you saw immediately upon being inaugurated, he put pressure on the American people and the gas prices. Immediately, it just jumps up and then it's a more gentle increase until the big fun starts with ukraine who who, who hurts this the most who 
who's hurting right now with this? The like, average, the average, the, average the, the, the low income people. Obviously. You, you, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go one step further. The lower cost housing is farther from city center, but the jobs are in city center. The commuting times hits the middle and lower class worse than it does the upper class. Mm -hmm. And so when this happens, you're hurting the people that can least afford it. Why is it that uh, politicians who create policies to help the low and middle income are the ones that end up directly and indirectly hurting the community that they claim that they want to help. Can you go to my Twitter profile? Yesterday, Bernie Sanders said uh, something about uh, uh, how much money the billionaires and whatever millionaires made in the last uh, 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 12 to 18 months during the pandemic. I don't know if you can pull it up. Anyways, I, I responded back to him saying this is, a again, byproduct of – uh, I'll just read it to you right here since you're I'll, I'll, I'll oh, get what, it printing here. the money. Now, here's what I told him. So he said, this is a, a, a this is oligarchy. This is Greek. This is callousness. Last year, over two million. Go to what he had to say. Go, go to his tweet and then you'll go back right there. Yeah. Yeah. This is callousness. Last year, over two million. Can you zoom in a little bit so audience can see it? Over two million people worldwide died of hunger. At the same time, the world's 2,755 uh, billionaires saw their net, net worth or wealth go up five trillion. From 8.6 trillion to 13.8 trillion, this is why we need a tax on wealth. Okay, now go back and this is my response. It's three parts. I said, that's what happens when you print money and give handouts to people who don't know how to manage money. They buy products from companies started by entrepreneurs. Money flows up, stimulus money rolled up to billionaires. They'd love another round, Bernie. <laughs> go a little lower. And then I said, step number one of helping low and middle income families is to teach them how money works, teach them how to create an additional source of income, teach them to read the right books instead of watching Netflix. Which politician is talking about that today? No one. Go below. And the last one, why not? Because vote, because those votes may start thinking for themselves. If we truly care about the low and middle income families, let's help them graduate the poverty mindset instead of being stuck there. That's what great leaders do. They leave you better than they found you. This leads me to the story of $1.5 trillion they want to print again. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you guys saw the story. Page number mm -hmm. six, if you want to go to it, lawmakers... Uh, reach a deal on $1.5 trillion spending bill to avoid shutdown and aid to Ukraine, okay? Congressional leaders reached a bipartisan deal early Wednesday on a $1.5 trillion spending bill needed to avert a government shutdown. The legislation includes $13.6 billion aid to Ukraine. Folks, that's kind of like us getting a $100,000 loan, and I say I'm here to help you, and I give you $13,000, okay? And I say, hey, uh, not $13,000, $1,300. So I get a $100,000 loan. Listen, I'm doing this for you because your family. I care about you guys so much, Ukraine. We really want to help you. Here's $100,000 we get. I give you $1,300. Ukraine, like $13.6 to Ukraine or European allies and $15.6 of funding for COVID-19 vaccines, testing, treatments in the United States and abroad. President Biden had requested $10 billion for Ukraine and European allies and $22.5 billion for COVID relief. Lawmakers face a Friday deadline to pass the spending measure. And avoid a weekend government shutdown. Let's print some more money, Tom. What do you think about this? I, I think it's horrible. I just did the math on this. So basically, everybody listening, average Americans, $13.6 billion to Ukrainian and European allies. Okay, there's a war going on over there. It's very, very important. But every man, woman, and nipple-sucking child in this country just gave $418 to Ukraine. Every one of them. So when you start to put it in that thing, you say, wow, we did? Yep. And you take $1.5 trillion, that's basically, what's that, $4,600? This is crazy. I mean, this is, this is debt ceiling. You know, if my mom had never said this to me, hey, kids, listen, 
Part of your inheritance, you have to inherit our credit card and deal with it and pay it off. And to avert a family shutdown, we're increasing the credit limit by ten grand so that your dad and I can take an anniversary trip to Hawaii. <laughs> so my, I would have been like, wait a minute, can you get back to the part where I inherit your credit card? So if you were to put it that way, let's make a storybook perspective, Tom. Make a storybook for six years old. A lot of perspective. Your parents said we're going to increase the debt ceiling for the family so your dad and I can go to Hawaii. Wonderful job. And then when when we die, remember you are responsible for the credit card because. Debt never dies. Liz, what do you think about this? I think it's actually bigger than that because I don't think that there's an expectation from the left, at least, that we are all or our children are all actually going to pay this. Do you guys know what modern monetary theory is? Modern monetary theory is this very radical leftist philosophy that you don't have to worry about the debt or the deficit that you can that a government when the government is the issuer of the currency can and should just print as much money as they need and that the deficit and the debt are just a historical record of how much has been printed and i think modern monetary policy is something that has actually been happening in our country for obviously not just this administration not just not just liberal administrations actually bush obama trump now biden all of these all of these administrations have spent an exorbitant amount of money but what happens is under modern monetary policy not only is that obviously going to lead to economic ruin that's almost the secondary part of it the point of modern monetary policy is so that politicians at the federal level in our legislature don't have to ask themselves the questions how do we fund our pet projects we have this this ideological smorgasbord in in a bill like this we don't have to actually sit here and debate in front of the american people where do we get the money from this is this worth spending your paycheck on all they have to do is print the money so this this modern monetary policy by the way one of the propagators of modern monetary policy one of the the lead thinkers on this is named stephanie kelton stephanie kelton is an advisor to the biden administration and was an advisor to both bernie sanders and joe biden during their campaigns so this modern monetary policy is is acknowledged and embraced by the Biden administration. They just hope that you won't notice. They hope you won't notice because this is the way they push their agenda through. This is the way that it can never be rolled back because our legislators then don't actually have to take into consideration whether they're being wise, whether people want their money spent on A, B, or C policy, whether they want it spent on the Green New Deal or whether they want it spent on Medicare for All or whether they want it spent on Ukraine. They don't have to. Our legislators never have to debate that because people, in a sense, don't touch that. They, they, yes, we will, we will have economic ruin eventually. But right now, it's just their way of pushing through their agenda. And so when I see when I see a bill like that, I immediately think, well, they're going to print the money because that's the way that they push their own agenda. Unless we stop their ability to print that money, they're going to keep doing things like this. Can you talk a little bit more about her? Is she one of the proponents of like Great Reset or Jubilee or Inflate Out Infinity? You she know, is. She is out of debt. Yeah. So she she's a professor, a college professor, and she. I mean, she just speaks probably more bluntly than anyone else that I've heard about modern monetary theory being completely dismissive of the idea that you would ever have to pay back. You would ever have to pay back um, what you're spending or that she she actually admits that taxation under modern monetary theory isn't about increasing revenue for government to pay for whatever projects they have. She thinks that taxation is a form of control, that taxation is a way to ensure that people don't ditch the U.S. dollar um, because they see that this, in, this spending increases, you know, or devalues the dollar, it, it increases inflation. She says taxation is just a way to make sure that people stay using our currency because you have to you have to earn the U.S. dollar in order to pay the U.S. dollar as taxes. And to me, that was the most shocking admission. Sometimes if you listen, work. 
No, it doesn't work, yeah. but this is what the people in charge of our country yeah. are doing right now. If you dig into it, I find it to be incredibly fascinating, but also incredibly frightening. But mm-hmm. well, you, you know whose name we're about to hear that we haven't heard in about a month, right? Joe Manchin. Because yeah. obviously this, you know, for people not familiar how bills work, right, uh, or how laws get passed or how stimulus, you know, bills end up getting uh, in the hands of the American people, this started in the House. That does not mean that it's going to pass the Senate. And everything that we've saw with the... You know, all the proposals that have been put together in the House and then, boom, the mansions of the world and the cinemas of the world doesn't happen. And then, you know, all those side conversations that really haven't uh, amounted to much. So, you know, we get caught up in the headlines that this is what they're going to do. This is what going to spend. And by no means is this actually happening. So don't be surprised if you hear Joe Manchin, you know, name the news again. And I hope you know, so. Uh, circle the wagons with Joe Manchin. Well, first of all, this mid- mid-year, midterms is going to be... I mean, it's, it's nothing is getting better and better. Like, you know, you know what is also scary? They missed out on the op- – this is going to sound crazy when I tell you this. They missed out on the marketing opportunity of saying COVID is done. So, <laughs> so the way they did it, even as a marketing strategist, you mm-hmm. didn't do it the right way. The, the Ukraine uh, issue, debacle that's taking place over there – they, they were not able to capitalize off the marketing opportunity for Biden, uh, uh, Fauci, and all of them to come out and say, folks, great news. After extensive strategies with our COVID relief team and, you know, vaccines and all this other stuff, everything's going back to normal. We are leaving the mask and we're leaving this. A move like that, if they would have done that two months ago or even yeah. six weeks ago, that would have helped them for midterms. It's almost as if their marketing strategist is not even a smart marketing strategist. Because everything right now is what? So let's just say midterms come up. What are people voting for? Gas prices? What else am I voting for? Inflation? What else am I voting for? A war? What else am I? What, what, like, what, do you, what victory do you have? Mm-hmm. They have no victory. Right? Mm-hmm. They're going to pay a price for it. That's Here's a very good coming. point. From a marketing it, standpoint, not, they kind of missed the boat on that. It's not even a smart they marketing just tried, strategy. They just tried the disappearing act with Anthony Fauci. All of a sudden, did you notice he was just yeah, gone from the airway? Yeah, he, he's such a... That's an, actually a really good point. When's the last time you saw Fauci? But that's there? not a good marketing strategy. No, no, they not, should they have capitalized have. off of it. I was surprised Biden didn't um, basically declare that COVID was over during his State of the Union. I thought he was, especially because in New York, the governor said, listen, we're going to take mask mandates out of school. Kids aren't going to have to wear that anymore. She announced that on Monday, but instead of saying it's going to go into effect tomorrow, she said Wednesday. And I thought, oh, well, Biden's going to be the one to announce that in the State of the Union. No, he didn't. He didn't touch on it. Maybe because, I mean, the American people have have seen the light in a certain sense, they, I mean, there. Yes, you're going to see people wearing masks voluntarily for years to come. A certain, a certain percentage of people. But Fauci, Fauci has dipped out of the spotlight as the spotlight has turned to those biological labs in Ukraine, because that's the part. Regardless of whether you feel the fear about the virus, people don't like corruption in politicians, and they don't like that Fauci, through the NIH, funded the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which perhaps, perhaps this virus was tinkered with in. In that lab, they do not like that. And this looks like it could be happening again in Ukraine with the biological uh, weapons labs that the U.S. is kind of trying to defend against right now, but can't. Tyler, is this something you're excited about? Is, is, you want to give a shout out to our friends at uh, Babylon B? We love these guys. So, attention starved Dr. Fauci <laughs> grease to box Jake Paul. What a picture right there. Oh, that's horrifying. Those guys do a phenomenal job. Well, Those so guys this, do a fantastic this job. This is just anecdotal. But, Wait, uh, 95. <laughs> You know what I got in the mail? What's that? Last week, what my government issued COVID testing kit. 
came in the mail last week. Like, we're done with COVID, right? Everybody kind of agrees it's just off the radar. And sure enough, when I when nobody needs it, right, we all get our government. Did you order COVID. it or did it just get sent to you? Just got sent to me. Interesting. Just, just showed up in the mail. I was like, oh, I got a package. Wonder where it came from. And out, out comes. A you know, I'm offended. Kit. I haven't gotten one yet. It really hurts my feelings. But I, by the way, this whole gas thing, you know what it's doing? It's, it's what's crazy with this one. If you can pull up the picture on this, this is a Fox News story. Gas theft on the rise as gas prices skyrocket. Damn. While gas prices continue to hit record highs, some people in Southern California are now resorting to gasoline theft. A Fox 11 viewer shared photos of what happened to a vehicle. A thief drilled a hole mm-hmm. in the fuel tank, draining all the gas. AAA is seeing a rise in gas siphoning and theft across the country and now they're warning car owners about how to keep their vehicles safe this is a sign of the times you know triple a doug uh, shoop said it's thieves looking for ways that they can make money by stealing what is becoming an increasingly more expensive and valuable commodity gasoline mona garcia says she's fed up with the prices it used to be 60 dollars. then it went to 70 dollars. i think two weeks ago it was 90 dollars. so i'm thinking this might hit 100 dollars she said while filling up her car Monday, as she feared, she spent $100 to fill up the tank. Garcia said her camera and a floodlight in her driveways, uh, uh, the, uh, any would-be thieves uh, from taking gas from the tank. Pretty crazy. That's getting to a point that people are now stealing gas from cars. This happened to us. My husband and I lived in California for eight years. We lived in San Diego. And this was before the inflation, although gas has always been crazy expensive there. Yeah. He has he has a project car. It's a 1988 Camaro IROC-Z that he would do projects on. And he parked it in our driveway, which was outside. And we came out. I think it was on a weekend. He had parked it there on a Friday night. And we came out the next morning. And there was still, like, the tube that the, that the thief had used to siphon the gas that was hanging out of the tank. Of his gas. I, I think this is as much. Yeah, it's the red one, but it doesn't have a T-top. It's a convertible. Uh, listen to me talking nice. about these car terms. Thank you. Um, it doesn't have a T-top. It's a Hemi. Uh, yeah. Hey, I listen when he talks. No, it's, a T-top. <laughs> it's a cool car. T-top isn't the engine, Adam. It's the top of the vehicle. Yeah, I know. I By know, the way, you, you know what's crazy? Here's what's crazy. So you, you would think... <laughs> <laughs> you doesn't have a T-top. It's a Hemi. Okay, You don't think think, uh, uh, inflation typically would cause gas uh, oil, uh, what do you call it, uh, gold to go up, and it hasn't. Printing money would cause gold to go up, and it hasn't. Peter Schiff must be furious right now because oil has gone up and gold's staying flat. It's gone up a little bit, not at the numbers that Mm -hmm. people were expecting. Oil is beating gas, folks. Uh, Oil is beating uh, uh, gold. Uh, uh, as of right now. Anyways, uh, are you guys okay if we cover this uh, biolab uh, story? I don't want to offend you guys if we go into so what's going on here with the biolab. Can we do a last you bit okay? on uh, gas real quick? You want to you yeah. say something? Go ahead. Yeah. Who, who are the highest state gas taxes in the nation? California. There you go. So, 20, 20.5%. So Sacramento is benefiting or not benefiting from these high gas prices? They're benefiting. Thank you very much. Yeah. By the way, you know what they could do? Somebody yesterday said, I'm trying to see who was. I want to give them credit. Somebody said yesterday uh, to me, they text me, and they said, you know, if they really care about middle America so much, all they have to do is remove the gas taxes. It'll go back down to normal, and they can do that for 90 days. But no, they're not going to do because they want the taxes. They want that tax money. Yeah, California is uh, uh, taking a lot of money from we people. We take you now to the French Laundry for a comment from Gavin Newsom. So let me give you a story by Reuters about biolabs. And this has been going back and forth. Even USA Today came out uh, 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 talking about, uh, what's it, Governor Newsom proposes tax rebate for California as a state deals with nation's highest gas prices. That's good for him. So he's actually actually wanted to do something about it. Good for you. 
uh, I think that's a, can you can you make that bigger? I want to actually read this on what he's doing. Okay. They edited the headline. It used to say Gavin Newsom, comma concerned about midterms, comma proposes tax <laughs> rebate for California. Let me see this. See California governor's office going to make it a little bit bigger. The Democratic governor's now on state of union address Tuesday night. The came across California's Ford price, Russia Ukraine, invasion, Ukraine hikes after. Okay, got it. Newsom said he is planning to submit a revised budget to state legislator that would put money back in California's pockets to address rising gas prices, but he did not immediately offer any details of how them okay by the way if he does this we will give him credit if he does nationwide the average gas prices regular gallon reached 417 on monday breaking a previous record in 20 2008 but in california the average gas prices are 544 according to AAA. that's crazy Damn. that's crazy 544 according to AAA. so what, what's this story with biolabs adam have you been following the story with biolabs here's a reuters story russia says u.s has biolabs with plague and anthrax in ukraine u.s calls claim absurd Russia said on Wednesday the United States must explain that what Moscow claims was a military biological program in Ukraine, an allegation Washington has already dismissed as absurd misinformation. Russian Foreign Minister spokesperson Maria Zakharova said evidence of the alleged program has been uncovered by Russia during what it calls its military operation in Ukraine. It involved deadly pathogens, including plague and anthrax, she said. Zakharova said Russia had documents showing that the Ukrainian health ministry had ordered the destruction of samples of plague, cholera, anthrax, and other pathogens after February 24th. Now, let me read the next story to you on Biden officials say U.S. working with Ukraine to prevent bio-research facilities from falling into Russian hands. Ukraine has biological research facilities, which is fact. We now are quite concerned Russia troops, Russian forces may be seeking to gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how we can prevent any of the research materials from falling into the hands of Russian forces should they approach. Okay, so that is being said by Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland. Okay. The response came in regards to a question from Senator Marco Rubio who asked, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Follow Newland's response, Rubio continued to ask the question whether she had any doubt that they did or not. There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it's classic Russia technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. Okay, And then some of it links back to uh, uh, Obama. But I'll pause right now if you guys got any thoughts on this. Go ahead, Liz. Yeah, so a couple of things can be true at the same time. I, I just airdropped you. Yeah, so this, is, this, this document that I just airdropped, this is from uh, the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine, April of 2020, two years ago, I found this document and scroll down a little bit to what this press release says, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so it says the U.S. Embassy would like to set the record straight regarding disinformation spreading in some circles in Ukraine that mirrors Russian disinformation regarding the strong U.S.-Ukraine partnership to reduce biological threats. But then listen to what they say. Here in Ukraine, the U.S. Department of Defense's biological threat reduction program works with the Ukrainian government to consolidate and secure pathogens and toxins of security concern in Ukraine government facilities while allowing for peaceful research and vaccine development. That, my friends, is first of all an admission that there are biological labs, biological weapons labs in Ukraine. But this, the reason it's so euphemistic is because once biological weapons research was sort of banned, they still, our government still does this. They just do it under the guise of being biodefense. And you can tell when there's a sentence like that, they literally say the U.S. Department of Defense works with the Ukrainian government uh, for peaceful research. Like, Define to me what peaceful research is, because if peaceful research is the same type of research that the U.S. was involved in funding in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, then we have we have a very different definition of of peaceful here. So I think that there is for 
almost certain evidence that there are biological labs in Ukraine. Um, that being said, that can be true, and it can also be true that if there is a biological weapons attack that happens in Ukraine, it is almost certainly from Russia. Those two things can be true at the same time. That, that's a very good point. I'll read this next story about President Obama. Deleted web pages show mm-hmm. Obama led an effort to build a Ukraine-based biolab handling especially dangerous pathogens. This is a National Pulse story. Two days ago, deleted web article recovered by National Pulse revealed the former President Barack Obama spearheaded an agreement leading to construction of biolabs handling especially dangerous pathogens in Ukraine. Originally posted June 18 of 2010, the article Biolab Opens in Ukraine details how Obama, while serving as an Illinois senator, helped negotiate a deal to build a level three biosafety lab in Ukrainian city of Odessa. The article, which also highlighted the work of former Senator Dick Luger, was additionally included in issue number 818 of the United States Air Force. Uh, counter proliferation center outreach journal. So this this so so now I got a very different question for you guys. Very different question for the two of you. So what is the what is the uh, and from the other side? Some people are asking this question. What is the big deal with this? Meaning, if the enemy in uh, uh, China, the one with Wuhan lab, that's very problematic because you're you're funding the enemy to come up with certain bio warfare, but if a lot of people, the next war is going to be cyber and it's going to be bio, shouldn't we get smarter in this area? Shouldn't we invest some money to research and get better at this? I guess what I'm asking is, why are people being, uh, uh, oh, no, 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 we didn't. Oh, no, 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 we didn't. Why, why are people so worried? Is there a guideline that you cannot do that? Is there mm-hmm. a, maybe I'm missing something. Is there a criteria that you cannot do? And, and what is that criteria? Yeah, this is what happens when, when, well, when liberals in charge of our country make decisions about what research is allowed or not based on what the international community thinks versus what's in our best interest, there's certainly an argument that could be made that says, well, it's in our best interest to have bioweapons, right? Like, I think that's a perfectly valid argument. I probably would agree with that. But because it's against because it's against the law right now, because, you know, the gain of function research is against the law, this juicing up of viruses or toxins to make them more transmissible and more lethal to weaponize them. Because this is against the law, it's really shocking when people hear that the government is violating the law for their own interest. I mean, that that was the problem with Fauci, right? This is actually this is actually why I think Fauci has disappeared from the airwaves, because what's happening in Ukraine is just another example of Fauci pretending that he's not engaging in bioweapons research, he's just doing it under the guise of biodefense. Because remember, the the NIH and the NIAID, which is the sub-agency that Fauci's in charge of at the NIH, they control, I'm not joking, literally billions of dollars as it pertains to biodefense spending. So any, any biodefense funding in our country, Fauci's yeah. finger is in this. And this is... This is, I mean, it's a scandal. Great, great point. And by the way, I, I don't like that we're doing it in Ukraine. I don't like it yep. that we're doing it in China. I don't like it that that's being done. And this that you just post up right here, Tyler, uh, the Biological Weapon Convention, BWC, is mm-hmm. a legally binding treaty that outlaws biological arms after being discussed and negotiated in the United Nations disarmament form starting in 1969. The BWC opened for signature on April 10, 1972, and entered into force on March 26, 1983 state uh, uh, parties including Palestine and four signatories, Egypt, Haiti, Somalia, Syria, Tanzania, 10 states that have neither signed nor ratified the BWC chat. None of those are big states, South Sudan. Okay, in terms of BWC. Okay, so so this says you can't do it. It, it, it. But now how much has it changed since then? Who's holding up to this? Who's committing to this? And quite frankly, 
Do you know when people say, does Iran have a nuclear weapon? You know that whole conversation mm-hmm. about does Iran have a nuclear weapon? I ask the question, how can you really audit whether they do or not? Like, let's just ask that question. How can you do it? Iran's not a small country. How do you go figure out whether they have it or not? You don't think they have some creative places to be able to have a nuclear weapon? You don't think they're currently working on it? You think they do it in a structure with glass windows for people from the outside? Like, you know how you go to New York and you look at CNN Studio or Fox and it's glass, you can see somebody doing the show? You think they work on weapons like that with glass windows for audiences? Oh, awesome, look at this. We have a nuclear bomb being built. You guys are so awesome. Can I take a picture of my kids? Here's a selfie. So if they're doing it, do we not think America is doing it? Quite frankly... I don't know if I would be comfortable with this, and here's why. Let me tell you why I wouldn't be comfortable with this, and it kind of goes to the Second Amendment with me. Mm-hmm. You, you're you're pro Second Amendment, yeah? Okay, I am too, right? Uh, this essentially is a form of a Second Amendment argument. Here's why: Sammy the Bull Gravano said something very interesting to me. Sammy the Bull Gravano, he's a former gangster. Mm-hmm. He's you know being accused of no, he actually went for 19, 19 murders, right? That are linked to him. He said the following to me about Second Amendment. He says, listen, me as a gangster, go ahead and ban all guns. Go ahead and ban all weapons. Guess what? I'm going to get guns. I'm going to find a way to have a gun. Go ahead and do your background checks and all the stuff you want to do. I promise you I'm going to have a gun, right? Okay. Um, can we agree that there's a lot of countries worldwide that can't stand America? That if we apply the same concept right here, with Second Amendment, do you not think the bad guys are saying, oh, yeah, 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 let's ban biological, you know, labs and research. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. You're right. Wink. We're going to follow your guidelines. Check, check. <laughs> and then they're going to go and say, what the hell are these naive people doing? Behind closed doors, everybody's working on this because what happened mm-hmm. the last two years to the world? Was that not a... You know, a not not putting a link to China or whoever was that not a biological crisis? Whoever it was, and we have to still do the investigation. Was that not a biological crisis that it spread and stopped the entire world? So for me, with Ukraine, of course not. With China, absolutely not. But do I kind of want my military to get stronger and invest into studying these types of things that could potentially take our lives and half the population can be lost and we're not prepared for it? And we're going to say, oh, we were following the rules. No, the other guy wasn't following the rules. And we need to renegotiate this deal ASAP because we're not going to sit here like a bunch of naive, you know, God-fearing people. Oh, everything's going to work out. No, only the paranoid survive. Cyber warfare is going to make people's life a hell. We already experienced what happened with bio. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm going a completely different direction. I may be fully wrong. And no, I'm, I, I no, you're absolutely you. right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And if you go take a look at um, arms reductions treaties, and you can go back to Carter and Reagan on this, SALT and SALT two, mm-hmm. strategic arms limitation talks. It's the same bumper sticker that the NRA uses, and it's right. If guns are outlawed, only outlaws have guns. It's the same thing. If you make a treaty like this, and by the way, it was found out in the transition between Gorbachev and Chernyko. Right? You remember this? Chernyko was a complete drunk. Um, true. And they weren't concerned about his his finger on their form of the nuclear football that the president carries around. They were concerned about deterioration of the Russian nuclear missiles that were happening in silos because they were poorly built. 
And that's where it was. And so basically what you have is the bad guys will continue to work against the good guys. Pat, you're absolutely right. And it's not about the Second Amendment. It's that no treaty made with Russia on SALT or SALT II was not violated by the Russians. It is a historical fact. They opened up silos. They looked at them and the, the whole USSR you know, fell, became Russia. You're able to look at this and you're like, that thing's deteriorating in there. That thing can go off right here. You can destroy one-third of this little surrounding area this way. And then Chernobyl reactor was one example of it. We have to be doing research, but unfortunately the good guys end up having to do it by proxy. You have to go and have labs because the good guys that do have glass buildings. Well, that's also the problem though. Turn to the proxy. Right. And the proxies are dangerous people like the Chinese communists or the Ukrainians. I mean, say what you will about the resistance, the courage of the Ukrainian people right now. That's fine. But Ukraine is a corrupt nation. They're they're not a functional democracy. They they are not someone that we should be sharing, in my opinion, bioweapons information with. There's also I I know I keep coming back to the corruption, but there's a corruption that can't be ignored, too, when the same person who is giving money to, you know, when not to be vague here, when Fauci gives money to EcoHealth Alliance and they give money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to, to do this exact gain of function research, when that same agency that Fauci helms profits from a vaccine that supposedly, supposedly addresses this virus. Like that's a that's a level of corruption and and vulnerability for profit off of, you know, mass death that I don't think the American people want to ignore. No. And, and by the way, what I'm for is let's investigate. You know, I'm for mm-hmm. innocent until proven guilty. Jesse Smollett, you know, uh, everybody was saying who he was. I don't know if you see what's going on with him right now. He's trying to get back onto TV and acting and all this other stuff. But everybody jumped to conclusions saying, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, Trump's campaign. Mm-hmm. Innocent until proven guilty. We should, if that happened to the guy, freaking terrible. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible situation. And we find out, no, that was all a fluke. Did you see... Uh, did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say, we, we kind of glossed over the incompetence here. That the, the Biden administration has had over a year to prepare for a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Russia started moving troops to the border in, what, March of 2021, if not earlier, and we're just now worrying about the level three bio lab and t- to evacuate it and get the deadly pathogens out of it? Are you kidding yeah. me? Like, what, what are these people doing? This is incompetence of the highest level. These things should have been handled a year ago. And it should have, when the question came up in the congressional hearing, Victoria Newland should have said, yes, it's been taken care of. We handled it six months ago, seven months ago. What is that one scene in Godfather where they try to kill Marlon Brando? Uh, do you know that one scene where they had to come and uh, uh, retaliate because you can't show weakness? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. The, the scene, right? Okay. So everybody's watching to see how you handle somebody going after your number one guy. And they went after Biden, Taliban did, and they got what they want. And everybody said, well, Marlon Brando and his camp didn't do anything. Well, when they after, went after Trump and they came after U.S., Ghassan Soleimani, the number two guy, was gone. So Iran's like, let's shoot an empty place and act like we retaliated. They didn't do nothing. Why? Okay, so in sports, one of the things that Kobe, when we had him on, Kobe said, I said, Kobe, you know, if Shaq had your work ethic, who would have been? Who would he have been? He says, "What? He would have been the mo- the greatest, greatest basketball player of all time. The greatest of all time." I said, "Why?" He says, "Because he was vicious. He was physical. Most big guys are not intimidating, but he didn't care. He would push you. He would hit you. He would do all this stuff. Right? Okay. So Shaq, Trump, they had a reputation of what? You do this, 
I'm retaliating. You're going to hear from me, right? So imagine all of a sudden you try to teach a center like Roy Hibbert, hey, I want you to be a tough guy. He's like, dude, I've never been a tough guy. I'm just tall. What do you want me to do? I'm 7'2". Don't blame me for being 7'2". I'm just not a tough guy. Okay, I'm going to beat you. Dude, Roy, relax, bro. Chill out. You're a nice guy. You're not a bad guy, right? Biden doesn't know how to do that. So these guys are exploiting that opportunity of not seeing tough. It's very simple. And the enemy is capitalizing off this opportunity. FYI, this story just came in. If you want to show it on what just happened, Ukraine and the Russia foreign minister met together. I don't know if you guys saw that video. Uh, they had talks together, nothing, there is no peace treaty, nothing came out of it. Ukraine foreign minister says Ru- Russian officials live in their own reality after talks fail. If you want to go up so I can read this, talks between Russia and Ukraine foreign minister and Turkey on Thursday ended in failure. The discussions between Larov and uh, Kuleba lasted just an hour and a half. Ukraine foreign minister uh, comments uh, come after Russia's foreign minister earlier denied that Russian forces had targeted civilians by bombing a children's hospital and maternity uh, ward on Wednesday. So here's a good, here's a bad. What's the good? At least they faced off and they had a meeting, which is good, okay? There is some progress going on, okay? Just the fact that they're willing to do that, I feel it's progress. Negotiations, sometimes you don't get it done the first time or the second time around. But they were able to get together. Does this mean it's over and Putin's going to say, okay, guys, let's just kind of, don't worry about it. It's okay, I'm over it. That's, we know that's not the kind of guy he is. He's going to continue. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know with, with all this stuff that's going on right now, at what level are we going to see this slowing down? All I know is I'm a little bit more hopeful than I was two days ago with the fact that these guys had to sit down. What do you think? Yeah, there's a really interesting article that is out on The Federalist about war games. There are over 100 times in the last 10 years there have been simulations of what happens when Russia invades Ukraine. Does this draw in the United States? Does this draw in NATO? Does this result in nuclear war? And this guy was a part of it. He was a part of these war games. And he said every single time it resulted in nuclear war, because when Putin feels boxed in, when he feels that his country or himself, when he, if he feels mortally threatened, he unleashes a nuclear weapon. And this, this this article to me was really eye-opening. I actually like pondered it. It was in my mind for like two or three days because I had been a little more on the, wow, Zelensky's really courageous. He's staying there. He's staying in his office. The people are being, like, the resistance is amazing. The propaganda I forgive him for because that's that's just, that's the new kind of war, right? And it made me actually rethink my view on Zelensky's strategy and how it's agitating the world. And the reason I use the word agitating is because I had used the word rallying. He's rallying the world behind you know, behind his cause on behalf of the Ukrainian people against Putin, who's obviously mm-hmm. evil and doing a bad thing. And I, after I read this article, I thought, actually, what he's doing is he's agitating the world because, and the reason for that is because he wants people, meaning uh, voters, us, America specifically, and Europe, he wants the people to have an emotional connection to the Ukrainian people so that we pressure our lawmakers to give him what he needs. But if you read this Federalist piece, and it, it, it talks about what specifically tips Putin over the edge to a nuclear war. You know, just the slightest, like a no-fly zone, tips Putin over into a nuclear war. Um, certain weapons tip Putin over into a nuclear war because he doesn't want to be struck first. And it made me think the United States should be very, very careful. We obviously should be down Putin. Of course, he's evil and he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. But we should be very, very cautious and very skeptical of what Zelensky, the operation that he is waging against us, or trying to get our approval because things as simple as words or those jets. Offense Putin. Or, yeah, offends Putin point. to the point that he feels mortally threatened. And I was very encouraged. I actually think Zelensky should consider the deal that the Kremlin offered him. They offered him, they said, you know, 
acknowledge that Crimea is Russian and acknowledge that these separatist regions are independent and um, put in your constitution that you won't you won't get into NATO or the EU. And, you know, this will the words from the Kremlin where this will all stop in a minute. If I were Zelensky, I'd seriously consider that. Well, it sounds like he is. I think he made a couple so. of comments that that basically he's not interested in, in joining NATO. What's yeah. the quote that he said? Yeah, that was, that was just yesterday, cooled. I think. Exactly. He says he has cooled. He's cooled on that. Yeah. And, and they're, That's that good. they're open to those regions, you know, from Russian-backed separatists rejoining the Russian Federation, what have you. Um, but you got to hand it to the guy, man. I mean, the, the world is rallying around this guy. Yeah. And, and I think it's only going to get worse for the Russian economy. I think they're going to default on... Uh, on their loans. What's that story, if you want to cover that? Morgan Stanley. Well, mm-hmm. just just real quick, uh, we got a pretty good, interesting comment in here. And, and a lot of people echo this. It's from a guy named Critic Geek. And uh, Adam, it's all officially your fault. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> it's all Adam's fault. It's all Adam's fault. Why does Tyler have a mic sometimes? <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. I mean, man. it does point back to one person. It's not Adam, but it points back to Biden. I mean, this could all have been avoided. None of this had to happen. That's why I, that's why I recommend to Zelensky that he consider this. It's not because it's a good deal. It's not. No one wants to give up part of their self-determination, their autonomy, or their democracy. But it's because we're in this lose-lose situation. The binary options both are terrible. Um, And the reason we're in that binary choice is because of decisions made by Joe Biden. What should Biden have done differently in regards to this? He should have continued the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That's probably the single thing that could have prevented this the most. He also, also should have... He not been relying on Russian oil. He should have continued our the United States path towards energy independence. Um, those two things, I mean, that's really the leverage that Putin has. Those two things, Putin cares about his profit. He cares about his pocketbook, just like everybody does. And if you threaten that, that's also that's also his leverage for controlling the response from European nations. So Biden really just could have done those those two or three things, and it, this could have been prevented. So the Morgan Stanley story we're talking about is a fortune story. It says Russia could default. As soon as next month, Morgan Stanley says, Russia's economy is so weak that it may have to default on its foreign debt soon, with analysts comparing it to Venezuela. In a note on Monday, Simon Waver, Morgan Stanley's global head of emergency market sovereign credit strategy, warned that Russia's economy was inching perilously close to default territory as the West imposes sanctions and talks of a recession mount. We see a default as most likely scenario Waver said, uh, predicting that the default may occur on as early as April 15th, a date that will mark the end of 30-day grace period on coupon payments that the Russian government owes on dollar bonds. In case of default, it is unlikely to be a normal one, with Venezuela instead perhaps the most relevant comparison. What does a default do to Russia? I mean, he just the guy the guy's making a threat saying, I'll take it to $300 uh, instead of uh, what it is today. You, you want to do a default with us? They're just going to make it. 40% of you is still relying on these guys with gas. Do you really think this default is real threat to Russia? No. I don't mean, think so either. No, the sanctions go one way, not... I'm not going to pay you next month. That it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You know, I read a very interesting book called, you know, The Next Czar. Um, and it's, it's a story about Putin. And it's very, very interesting when you read about it. You read about where he went up and where his education was. And, and one of the things is he is employing czar thinking. And part of the czar thinking is, you know, military imperialism and, rebu- and rebuilding. But the other part of czar thinking is zero endgame. I mean, the czars were literally unafraid of, you know, 
of, of their own mortality or fatality. And, and that is the character flaw that was in the czars. And so when I read this and what you, you talk about, but you were just talking about just now, Liz, I mean, it lines up. You know, beware the guy that really isn't concerned about the end game the way you think of an end game. Yeah, but at what point does Putin like we're 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 saying that it's Biden's fault? Okay, maybe there's parts of it that it is, but at what point does Putin have to accept responsibility that attacking Ukraine and invading Ukraine is basically crumbling and dismantling the Russian economy? What uh, inflation has reached double digits by far? Interest rates are twenty percent at this point. The ruble is crumbling; is worth a penny. You can't use your Mastercard, ATM, um, or, or Visa, um, Amex. The, the, the stores are closing. There's sanctions galore. I mean, at the end of the day, is it all worth it? So you can take back parts of Russia that are, you know, Russian backed uh, and speak Russian. At what point does Putin have to say, you know what? This isn't a, actually a good idea to do all this. You're applying Western thought of good bad. That's not how he's thinking. I'm sorry. I, I mean, is Western uh, is your economy crumbling and your and your ruble crumbling a Western philosophy? He, I don't think he's worried about it. How can you not? Well, if you're not if you're not accountable to your people, I mean, right? That's the problem with dictators and authoritarian is when things are going badly for the people. The people don't have the power to say, "Well, we're going to vote you out of office. We're going to hold you accountable." When someone's an author- authoritarian, they're going to live high on the hog, and it doesn't really matter if the people suffer. Mm-hmm. I actually had a really interesting conversation with Senator Ted Cruz. I co-host that new series, The Cloakroom, with him on Verdict Plus, and I asked him about Putin's mental state because there have been some insinuations from people like Senator Marco Rubio or even Condoleezza Rice. She was on The View, and she said, "Listen, I, I interacted with." Putin five or six times in person, and he's a killer, he's evil, but he's a rational actor as defined in foreign policy, meaning not a jihadist, not a death wish. He's a rational actor, but she said recently his behavior seems to be more erratic. It doesn't seem to be in that same vein. And so I, I this, obviously, they didn't go into this much deeper on The View. And I thought, wow, we really should be talking about that exact comment. And so I asked Senator Cruz, I was like, listen, I have access to a lot of open source information. You have access to a lot of classified information. What's the what's the psychoanalysis of Vladimir Putin? Is he still acting as a rational actor? And I mean, obviously, he can't he can't disclose super classified information. But he said, as far as he can tell, as far as he's seen, Putin is still acting as a rational actor. If you understand what his ideology is, which should inform the world, it should inform the world what are how we react and these sanctions. I mean, these sanctions understand who they hurt the most too. They hurt not just the people; they hurt the oligarchs, and the oligarchs mm-hmm. there control Putin. They're very influential. So you're saying that they control Putin? Yeah, yeah. The oligarchs. He needs the support of the oligarchs. But then that goes to your point, though. What you said yesterday. That meaning you. Who does he listen to? That, yeah, no, the like, oligarchs. Yeah, so you can't lose them. If mm-hmm. they lose their minds, you saw what happened with the soccer thing the other day. Yesterday, the mm-hmm. Britain Chelsea, soccer Roman, yeah, yeah Chelsea Roman Abra- oh, Abramovich. David and is awake, the owner folks. of the Nets too had to sell the Nets and the Barclays Arena. Uh, he was a Russian because he had ties to Vladimir yeah. Putin. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. he sold that five years ago. That wasn't recently. That was years ago. But now, I mean, think about what's happening to them right now. I mean, their yachts are their yachts are being sunk. They can't go to the Riviera. Right. They can't send their children to elite universities around the globe. I mean, they, Roman, they yeah, Roman Abramovich. Sorry to cut you off. Was actually sanctioned this morning, and now he can't sell the club for the three billion pounds he wanted to sell mm-hmm. it for. So my point initially was, I hope it's all worth it, Vladimir. Yeah. I hope all this is worth getting Crimea. That. You know, you're losing support in your country. You're losing support from the oligarchs. Your people are standing in bread lines, ATM lines. The ruble's worth nothing. Mm-hmm. But hey, 
You got a little more I, territory. I, th- I think I think the whole thing, the strategy is what? Outwork, out-improve, out-strategize. But what's the last one? Outlast. This is a lasting game right now. This mm-hmm. is all a stamina and fatigue game right now. Now, do you think this actually helps him outlast, or does this diminish his chances of outlasting? No, no. no. I think if Kremlin is making the request on what they want, I think he is waiting for Zelensky to burn out and fatigue and say, okay, fine, we'll make it work. Look what happened with Pashinyan from Armenia. Eventually he says, okay, let's get down, let's sit down and talk. And they sat down with uh, Azerbaijan and Putin and figured out a way to do it, right? That happened very quickly. Not very quickly. It was about a month. No, no. Sorry, I mean, it didn't take months and months yeah. and months and no, months. No, no, no. Pretty quickly in a war, guys, a month. But, but you're talking about we, we still got a couple of weeks left till April 15 default. So this this guy has a timeline. Mm-hmm. In his mind, he's thinking, I'm going to go till this day. Like, this is not a meeting. It's like, what did they say? Go. This is a meeting of 40 moves ahead of what we're going to. Mm-hmm. If this guy says this, this is the plan. If that guy says this, this is the plan. If that guy says this, start this, press this, send this guy, to call, send this, call the media on this, shut this thing down. If media, they, they, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a months and months, maybe years strategy of what to do in this moment. That, that's all it is. How I don't think they're winging a, it. A default is basically when you just don't make your payments, right? You I, think he your has, I think he has a time in his head. Does, do you think That's my question. Do you think he's actually concerned about this April 15th deadline? I don't think which it's ironically April 15th. Is day? I, I'm just given the date that Morgan Stanley gives. Right. I just think he has a date. On the default date, I'm saying. Is, do you n- think he's concerned about no, that? No, he don't. That, that's not the, If they go back to communism, the people in that country is like, what are you talking about? Just 30 years ago, it was communism. What are you guys complaining about? Yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm saying this, that he's thinking this. I'm not saying it as I'm saying it. That's mm-hmm. how he processes that. You know what on International Women's Day he said? Hey, on International Women's Day, uh, this is a great opportunity for us to recognize our men that are at war. <laughs> <laughs> Did he really this say is that? his mentality. <laughs> On International You're Women's Day. You're talking about a different exactly. guy. This it's is International the- Women's Day. Appreciate <laughs> our men in the fight. Our men. What the so, fuck are you talking about? We got five, five more minutes. I want to do two other stories before we wrap up. One is mm-hmm. with Jeff Zucker, CNN, page 10, if you want to go to it. Uh, uh, Jeff Zucker, okay, reaches resolution with Warner Media over abrupt CNN exit. Won't sue. Jeff Zucker has finalized a deal with Warner Media over the former CNN chief sudden fall of his grace last month. Details of the confidential package are obviously being kept close to the vest, but sources tell us Zucker made the decision several weeks ago to accept what had been done on the table by the old bosses at the time of the table uh, news exit. What we know is that if Warner Media kept keeps its uh, side of the deal in the next two weeks, ten days in the next two weeks to ten days, in the next week to ten days, Zucker will receive a one-time payment of ten million dollars. We all told us Zucker quite uh, publicly uh, since his departure. CNN sees this chance as a move on and pursue the next chapter of his career in terms of moving on as part of his agreement. Wood Warner Media, the one-time NBC Universal head, Honcho, has waived any future rights or intention to pursue litigation against his old corporate overlords, which is very normal when you do that. This is not like anything yeah. crazy. But the story that is crazy is what James O'Keefe did. <laughs> this James O'Keefe guy, man, he is relentless. A Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times reporter says January 6th media coverage overreaction, FBI involved, even Event was not organized despite ongoing uh, uh, narrative. So go to page six on this one because he's not slowing down. So New York Times national security correspondent Matthew Rosenberg 
contradicts his own January 6th reporting. There were a ton of FBI informants amongst the people who attacked the Capitol. Let me say this one more time. By the way, he's on video saying this, talking to a girl. I'm sure you guys saw this. And then yesterday, O'Keefe was following him with a mic in his face, and he's saying, turn the camera off. He says, this is in America. This is free speech. O'Keefe's on a different level. Rosenberg, it was like me and two other colleagues who were there on January 6th outside, and we were just having fun. I know I'm supposed to be traumatized, but like all these colleagues who were in the Capitol building and are like, oh, my God, it was so scary. I'm like, you know, F off, Rosenberg. I'm like, come on. It's not the kind of place I can tell someone to man up, but I kind of wanted to be like, dude, come on. You were not in any danger. These little dweebs who keep doing uh, on about their trauma, shut the hell up. They're effing uh, bitches. Okay, Rosenberg, they were making too big of a deal. They were making this an organized crime that it wasn't. So Zucker, CNN, New York Times called out. How much trust, how much more trust are we having in the media today? Man, they keep losing credibility. That, the article about Zucker cracks me up because it says, you know, he's going to keep the details of the settlement close to his chest. And then the rest of the article is all the details. And FYI, I mean, I don't have to tell you guys this. Anytime it says a source close to Zucker, like that's Zucker on his phone, like typing out what he wants them to print. <laughs> that is not that yeah. is not anybody close to him. He's he's publishing what he wants to print. Listen, he was fired not because of the affair that he had with that woman, which I think we all agree no one cares about. Um, he's an adult. It was consensual. He can he can do that if he wants. I mean makes him a pig but that's not really a fireable offense um the reason he was fired obviously was because he helped cover up andrew cuomo and chris cuomo helped cover up andrew cuomo's malfeasance even andrew cuomo's sexual malfeasance like that's bad don't get me wrong but he wasn't ousted because of that he was ousted because he was going to be held accountable for the nursing home deaths that yep. he facilitated during covid so this is just this is just the domino effect um the domino effect is jeff zucker helped helped chris cuomo who helped andrew cuomo who presided over the deaths of thousands of old people in new york he deserves to be fired for that i mean he's taken cnn i think it's what the joe rogan podcast has like 11 times more viewers every day than <laughs> primetime cnn that if, if you stop and think about that statistic for a second i mean he has presided over the just the devastation of uh of cnn which you know, it's sad to see in one sense, but also I, I find to be quite humorous mm-hmm. given how biased they are. Well, don't you think that that might be a partial reason is that their ratings are in the tank? And by the way, all networks are getting killed by Boy. Joe Rogan. I don't think it's immune to CNN. I mean, no, 11, Fox is doing better X than, than, no than, wonder than the CNN. don't want math taught but in schools. The, um, <laughs> how much of it is just because he tied all his ratings to Trump? They would, they would have cameras on the podium when Trump wasn't even there. Like, he's coming. Like, he was been there for the last 10 years before uh, he was there for Obama. He was yeah. there for Trump. How much of it is actually the sexual accusations, cover-ups versus, dude, like, CNN's failing? No, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's about his his affair or whatever. I don't. I honestly don't think people really care about that outside of his personal life. I don't mean to sound callous. I don't even think it was an affair. I think he was just banging like was, a co-worker who happened to be 45 years old. It wasn't like she was some intern, you know, I Roger I Ailes bullshit. I, really, I literally don't even care about the affair. He was obviously fired because, not. I don't even think it was because CNN's ratings are in the tank. I think it's because... Of the Andrew Cuomo stuff. I mean, CNN lost their credibility, not not necessarily just because they had a camera on the podium for Trump, but because of how they covered Trump. Mm-hmm. CNN literally had remember, remember the Kavanaugh hearings? CNN Brian Stelter had on Michael <laughs> Avenatti and said, You are a realistic 2020 um presidential candidate. So <laughs> ridiculous. Like my Who's literally going. in jail right now. Yeah, who 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 stole money from a Stormy porn Daniels. star? Yeah, based on the book that she wrote. I mean, this guy's nuts. Yeah. And Brian Stelter and other clients. 
Yeah, and Brian Stelter's pushing Mikey. her only because she's making allegations or the allegations right. against Kavanaugh and against Trump. So who's the alpha at CNN now? Is it Brian Stelter? Is it Don Lamont? Is it <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey is Tubin. as might be, beta as might, they get. Have those two words <laughs> ever been Brian? used in the same Brian. sentence? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Brian, is, Brian should go sit down with you and uh, uh, Lo, uh, Rolo. That is because he would be the ultimate beta. He's coming up on the no, South cast. Yeah. Liz, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's nothing to see here on Zucker. Zucker has agreed to two thoughts in his mind. $10 million is good. To shut up and get my career ready for my next chapter in media. Maybe I don't sue the world, including boards of directors. You know what? I want to work in media. Time to shut up, sign the paper, get on with it, and have my quiet period, and then come back and get reinvolved, which is what he's going to do. Yeah. That's what's going on here. He's but not going right. away. He's not going away. But I think you're right. I think Liz is absolutely correct. The derivative liability that was coming to CNN. Look, CNN also yesterday, the new chief, what did he announce? We've agreed to a ceasefire with Fox. So while we're all covering wars, they used, <laughs> did you see that? They used the phrase ceasefire. We're not going to be all over Fox for this. We're not going to be all over this. We're going to go more to hard reporting stories. And so CNN is also trying to go Good. and say, hey, we're going to be a journalist. We're going to be doing this. All this is interrelated, but Jeff Zucker is easy. Jeff, take the money. Don't sue anybody. Do your time out and quiet. Then come back and do whatever was, you want to do. He was the CEO of the company. Look, a couple, a couple things. I, I watch two documentaries that I recommend people to watch. One of them mm-hmm. is going to piss off one audience. The other one's going to piss off another audience. One of them was uh, 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 Winter on Fire and then Ukraine on Fire. Ukraine on Fire, I believe, is by uh, uh, Oliver Stone. Uh, Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. And Winter on Fire is on Sean Penn. I am curious to know how Putin thinks. And Oliver Stone sits with Putin. Like, I'd love to have a conversation with Oliver Stone to see what he thinks about Putin. You know, like, how was this guy's wiring? When you had to sit down with him, what was it like? Mm -hmm. So Oliver Stone does that interview. Then Sean Penn does the other one with the students and the kids, all that other stuff. If you haven't watched it, can can you show both of those documentaries so people can see it? Listen. Next 24, 48 hours, do one of them, then watch the other one. I think one of them is on Netflix, and the other one you can watch on IMDb. That's a Ukraine one from 2016, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then go to the other one uh, that uh, explains uh, Winter on Fire, and that's on Netflix, I want to say, right? There's those two. I recommend you watching those. And then more importantly, if you were not subscribed to Liz Wheeler's podcast, we're going to put the link below. If you loved having her on, go give her a sub. And give her a shout-out of her being here on the podcast with us. Liz, you're amazing. You're exactly what we expected you to be, fiery, energetic, and somebody that puts a lot of time into researching to give the answers where you get people thinking. Appreciate you so much for coming. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much for the kind words. It was uh, my honor to be here with you, gentlemen. Awesome. So, gang, tomorrow, one of the podcasts will only be on Spotify. We can't do it live because YouTube guidelines won't allow. And Apple Podcasts. Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And the other one will be on YouTube. And uh, just, you don't want to miss the other one. That's Let's all we just can say tell you. the afternoon yeah. one will be very interesting. That's a, probably a very good way of putting it. So, all right. So, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.